Welcome to the podcast that's dedicated to making you a faster cyclist. The We're back. Cycling... <laughs> we are back, Nate. <laughs> Wait a second. Like... Do you hear that laugh? Yeah. yeah. That means there's someone else is back, too. Amber, hey you're back. <laughs> it's Amber back, too. Sorry, John. We're so excited because it's been a while for both of us. We've done we an also intro have... exactly the same every episode. I think it's okay we interrupted every once in a while. Yes. We have IVR Drain from Hand Up Gloves plus Black Bib Racing. Wow, first try. Amazing. <laughs> See, maybe Nate should just be the host. He nailed it first try. <laughs> and Coach Jonathan Lee of Trainer Road. And Amber is of Cannondale and Trainer Road. Yes. Okay. Yes. Nailed it. It's going to be Amber, a spicy one. You're in Reno right now. I am. Disney family. Yes. So you're close. At some point, we are going to, we'll do some rapid tests and we'll get the three of us here, Ivy, if you want to come to Reno too, you're welcome to, yeah, and sure. we'll do one in this <laughs> studio. So then it's not just me in here. We'll, we'll actually do an in-person one. That'll be fun. It's been so long since we've done that. So, uh, well, it's good to have everybody for joining us on YouTube. Give it a thumbs up. That will help other cyclists find it. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. I don't know why people you haven't subscribed yet. If you're listening to this, you absolutely should new cycling content all the time. Uh, before we get any further though, Amber updates maternity leave. <laughs> How'd it go? <laughs> I've got a baby. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> I completed my bodybuilding program. I have a yes. little tiny body to show for it now. Um, yeah, nice. no, it's, <laughs> yeah, see what I did there. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, everything's good. It was, it was amazing. It was a really special, important time. And, um, it's just, I'm, I'm really grateful to be working in a place where, and I know this is going to sound like a shameless plug, but I mean it very sincerely, a place that genuinely, values and takes care of the employees and walks the walk on that. So, um, thanks to the whole crew here for making that possible for me. Cause it was, uh, it was really amazing, but I'm also really happy to be back cause I missed everybody. So it's great to see all of you again. We missed you too. Yeah. Aww, yeah. Guys. A whole lot. Amber, um, people are going to ask on the training thing. Have you, you've got so much more, so many more important things to focus on right now <laughs> with your child and now you're getting back to work and all this stuff, but did you do any training during this time? Did you think about that? Did you wrestle with that because you were a professional athlete? And did you feel like, oh, I need to train? Um, or did you just completely shift your focus? Totally shifted my focus. I did. I did train, but I wouldn't even call it training. It was really just, I wanted to move in my body in a way that felt good. And I was really focused on on that, like just doing the things that really felt rejuvenating and felt like they were adding to my well-being at the time, as opposed to having any kind of a fitness target or a goal. Um, we always talk about controlling the controllables and there are a lot of things in pregnancy and birth that are beyond your control. So I really was letting go of outcomes and just trying to be present a lot. Um, and I, I haven't done a lot of writing and I'm really looking forward to getting back to it, but it's been very much a process of listening to my body and I also feel at this point, I, I don't have anything to prove right now. So I'm really comfortable focusing in on, you know, when it feels right to move and do something I do. And when it doesn't, it's okay. It's really okay. And I'm looking forward to getting back to a more regular cadence of training, but it, um, I really needed some time. <laughs> I really needed some time and listening to that was really good and helpful. So it was good to have the time and the headspace to be able to do that. That's awesome. Amber. But yes. people don't know, uh, boy, girl, name, like I don't think you've ever announced it, right? Girl, Yeah. Well, yeah, that's true. I, I posted a couple things on social media, but, um, Berkeley Varen Pierce, she was born September 2nd, seven pounds, six ounces. And, um, she's a lot of fun. 
she's she's starting to actually laugh out loud, which is hysterical. And oh. we're all like desperately trying to figure out what it is that is funny to her so we can do it over and over and make her laugh <laughs> over and over. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So cool. Uh, Nate, you're back. Uh, I am back. Post-concussion, how are you feeling? Uh, how's everything going? It was lame. So Cape Epic <laughs> was lame, so everyone knows. What a letdown. Trained so hard for that. Um, leading into it, I was going through a bad relationship issue and like, I didn't talk about this on the podcast, but I lost 10 pounds. I wasn't training. I wasn't eating very stressful time. That's not what you want going into Cape Epic. Uh, <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> and then I got the concussion and I came out and I broke up with my girlfriend and then I got like depressed and it was bad. I didn't even know I was depressed. Actually, what would happen is I'd ruminate. So I'd like think about the same thoughts over and over and over again. And I couldn't get out of my head had problems sleeping, kind of go to sleep and sleep for like four hours and just be up. I didn't realize that that was depression until a therapist told me. I took a Wellbutrin 150 milligrams, which is an antidepressant. It's not an SSRI. It's a, a different one. But anyways, after like 10 days, I started feeling back like myself. So I had something like knock me down, I took antidepressants, came back. I'll be on them for mm, at least six months, maybe a year, and then decide if I want to go off them or something like that. But, um, the reason why I bring this up is that concussions can be linked. They are linked to depression, right? And like crazy things would happen. I'd be way more emotional. I hadn't cried in like 15 years. And I cried, I think every day for 50 days, which is crazy. Wow. Even like during Cape Epic, I know. Oh, wow. um, and then what else? Just that, like to be aware that if you have a concussion, I was also forgetting things, but that that stuff, it feels real to you because it is real because these things are like happening in your brain. So anyone who has a cyclist that has these things, you should be aware, um, you know, talk to a doctor and therapist and stuff too. And I also, I don't mention it because I want sympathy, but just like there's a stigma against antidepressants inside of our society. And they're the ones I took are rad. Like it's so everyone reacts differently. There are no side effects. And I went from being feeling not like myself to back like myself. And I think a lot of people think that you take antidepressants, you're going to be like the zombie and you don't feel anything. Not like that at all. I just feel regular again. So that is truly grateful for that. And I know, yeah, that's, there's alternative treatments and stuff. And I looked in all those, but this one for me worked really well. I'm glad you shared on that. Like, like you said, concussions are linked to it. Cyclists do experience that, but just in general, uh, it's good to normalize that sort of discussion um, and for people to talk about it openly uh, when they feel comfortable about it. So glad, you're, glad back. you're back. More Nate. ways than one. <laughs> yeah. Me too. Yeah. And, and that um, also, I just want to call attention to the concussion thing a little bit more. Um, I can't hear you. Oh, oh no. Oh, well, wait, you're back. Okay. Hey, you're back. There we go. <laughs> uh, AirPod life. It, it happens at times. Um, the concussion thing. Nate, you did not, sl uh, we don't think you slammed your head onto the earth and broke a oh, helmet and you did I like didn't the tell typical the story. Yeah. Let's, let's cover that because you, you never got to share it on the, on the podcast. And I think that it could be surprising to some people in terms of the concussion part, considering your crash. Yeah. This is going to be awful. I'm not gonna be able to hear you first podcast. Um, <laughs> okay. So what happened? If you need to, yeah. Nate, by the way, you can just take your, and when we, we can make do with the audio, you can take them out and then just make it come out of your computer if you want. Okay. So. Talk a little bit amongst yourselves as I fix this. Yeah. So <laughs> here's uh, the, the thing about the concussions. <laughs> Ivy just had a panic look on her face. <laughs> uh, the thing about concussions is I think that people are like, oh, you got a concussion? Yeah. Well, did you break your helmet? I hear that all the time from athletes. Yeah. And yeah. There, the, there's like a prerequisite in order you to have a concussion, 
you need to destroy your head, like on an impact. Your head has to take the impact. That kind of wasn't the case for Nick. Okay. And it well, isn't been the case for Depends who you talk to. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so there we are. Uh, Sophia and I, I, just right then I was like, what was her name again? And I couldn't remember Sophia's <laughs> name, which is crazy. That's like the concussion wow. stuff. But we're there and we are racing. It was stage one. The first day we almost got on the podium so close. And I wish we would have. If I just would have set a little bit more in the mud, we could have done it. Yeah. Uh, definitely me holding us back. But we were going and it. the race started out so, so hard. Like so hard. I'm like, <laughs> it's got to slow down. It did not slow down. It was like a crit. It was like a crit. That's what it was like. Um, yep. And then we... We're going, and uh, the second place team. So it's the first place team that are just amazing. They're way far ahead. We're not going to catch them. They beat John and Brandon. Like they are yes. fast. Yeah. Uh, the second place team. We're climbing, and the German girl like tries to push me off the trail while passing me. Uh, yeah, she was like, she tried to go between Sophia and I and like push me, and I was like, I don't think so. And I just held my ground, and she went around. They passed. Day us later. one in particular was very intense in that regard. Like wow. the start was pushing, shoving, bumping cutting lines off. It was very aggressive. It, it was a crit. Um, yes. <laughs> and then, um, so then we're going and we're settling in and people have spread out and we are in third place and I'm like, life goal, podium at Cape Epic, please. Right. <laughs> we can do this. And there is, I can see a German team behind us. And, uh, when it is a fire road, the man can push the woman behind us and they're catching us. But if it's single track or on the flats, we gain, we gain time on them. So I'm, I'm watching it as we go through there. And on my bike, I started with two bottles. It was cold at the beginning, right? I had two large bottles. It was like shivering cold and we're going, but it starts we had to, to get cross hot. a river right at the beginning of the race too. So yeah, freezing cold and had to go through a river. Um, it starts to get really hot and, uh, I don't know how, I mean, I did not expect to get that hot so fast. I should have brought a hydration pack, but we're climbing well and we're doing a good job. But then I like start to feel cramps in my body and I didn't have like all the water was gone and we get to the top of the, uh, Land Rover technical section. And it is not, this section was definitely technical, but it wasn't like black diamond technical. We're going down and my triceps are starting to cramp and then my hands and then my back as we're descending <laughs> and the, uh, the German team passes us and I'm like, Oh shoot. Okay. This is, we're not, I just got to get in or maybe another day, but then they flat, uh, they're pushing too hard and they flatted and I'm like, Oh, this is it. So we're going as hard as we could. And I'm also cramping like full body cramps and it's just an easy left-hand turn with some sand and flat, nothing really technical. And my front tire slipped out and I went down and my head whipped down and hit the ground at the same moment, my whole body cramped, like every bit of my body cramped and I'm like on the trail. Uh, cramped up and, uh, I, or, um, not Ivy, uh, Sophia's like, you're okay. You're okay. You're okay. Just get up. And I'm like, can't move. I'm like clipped in still. Um, I get up and I'm like, I hit my head really hard. She's like, no, you didn't. Let's go. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, um, we wait a second and the German team passed us again. They're nice. They asked us, you know, are you guys okay? And we're like, we're okay. We keep going. And, uh, I try to drink some more water at the aid station and then I'm just like not being able to stay on the trail, like riding. Mm -hmm. And I get off the bike and I'm like, uh, kind of the thing where you stand up and then you're like, it's like you're drunk and you're walking backwards, but you're not meaning mm -hmm. to walk backwards because you're trying to stay upright. I was dry heaving. So those are all signs of concussion, like dry heaving and stuff. 
And then we're going some more and I was like, started to go really slow, like walking pace slow. Um, I get off the bike and we're just like, we're just going to walk in until we find somebody. And there's a paramedic walking the trail and, uh, he was, someone else broke their arm. So he's going to go find them, but he comes to me and he does like these, this eye concussion thing. And he does like the eye test and stuff. And Sophia's like, his helmet's fine. He's okay. Don't worry. Like it's not bad. And he turns around and goes, he has a concussion because my eyes doing like, like not responding to light and like doing the weird eye tracking thing. Uh, so it's like, well, that's, as we know from this podcast, even if you have one concussion and you're fine, but if you get another one on top of it, they stack and you can get what's called a TBI traumatic brain injury. That is when you become like vegetable, right? So whenever you have a concussion, even if you think it's not that bad, you really, really, really don't want to get hit again. And I guarantee you over Cape Epic, I would have crashed again, right? Oh, yeah. I don't know if I would have hit my head, but I would have crashed again, hundred uh, percent. So the end of the race then for me and went in the ambulance and that was very sad and Cause you know, you, I've hyped this race up a little bit on the podcast and I trained so many hours for it and spent a lot of money and time, you know, time away from your family and stuff to do this, but think about kids and stuff. And what if you did get a traumatic brain injury? Would you trade that for a Cape Epic finish? Like, would you flip a coin? One is traumatic brain injury. One is just finishing Cape Epic. I think we'd all just pick or yeah, just not to flip the coin. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Put the coin in your pocket. So another thing I'm doing this this season, I was going to ski with my kids a bunch this year. Not skiing. Uh, skiing, you might not think is a concussion sport for those who don't know, but skiing is a total concussion sport. The snow is not um, soft, and what happens is other people will hit you. And that that especially where I am, I'm not a really fast good skier. There's people behind me going faster than me. Um, I might do things that are not predictable. There are trees too. Uh, you can just catch a lip and like psh, yeah, it over. John, catching, talk about that. Yeah. Catching edges is the really tough part because it can take you because like concussions, remember it's brain making impact with skull. It's floating in fluid inside your mm-hmm. head and, and when it makes impact. So really all you have to have is really rapid deceleration and you can catch right. an edge so easily on snowboards or skis. And then when your body slams down, that's why you don't necessarily need to hit your head when your body slams down. And like you said, Nate, like you kind of got that whiplash movement when you went into that sandy dirt, wasn't that you hit your head on a rock or anything like that, but that's enough to, to cause a concussion. And it's, it's just tricky because everyone thinks that were you knocked out? Oh, okay. Then you didn't have a concussion. That's false. That's not true. Another one. Uh, do you remember it? And if you remember it, okay, then you didn't have a concussion. That's also false. That's not, that's not the case. There's like a lot of, there's so much misinformation that exists about it. Uh, And Nate, what you're talking about is real. And it's something that's really scary too, in the sense that if you get something like that, it suddenly like sport goes away. And instead you're talking about something much more important and it is your health. So you do have to prioritize it. Um, and, and long-term it, they, they stack up too. that. Like you said, if you get one and then get another in close proximity, it's very dangerous, but even over the long term, if you just continually accumulate concussions, speaking from firsthand experience, it has like a profound effect. It's really tough. Um, I have to live, live, live by calendars, lists, everything else. I have them everywhere around me because I simply just don't have my, my memory is a net and it's a porous one. Right. So <laughs> just doesn't hold on to things anymore. So it is really dangerous. Um, I'm, I think you made the right choice had to have been really hard too. like, yeah, because sometimes when we just go to a local race and we're like, Oh, but we're uh, my pride's on the line, or I want to do this with my friends, or I spent money to get here. Or this is, 
And then when you're you've flown halfway around the world, and then you also have, you've gotten other people to do this race with you and they're there and every, you know, it's, there's a podcast about watching. it. There's right. everyone knows about yeah. it. Um, your company's brand also is associated with it. There's so much pressure. It's depressing me. Sorry. Oh. Yeah, easy. No, no, no. My no. What I'm saying Please, is that you made the right choice, the hard choice, but the right choice. Cause there was a lot 100%. of pressure, but you chose the right, I think. Um, so thanks for doing that. And it wasn't a, a hard example. choice. It was just, it like, I was accepting really fast. Like as soon as I hit my head I was like, oh, like I saw the blinding lights and I knew what it was, mm-hmm. but then you just get disappointed in the fact that it was the choice. It's like, if you break your leg, you're not like, oh, I'm not like, yes, you know, you broke your leg, right? Yeah. Uh, you don't, you don't deny, hopefully you don't deny it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You can see the bone. You're just like, I don't, I don't, I think I'm fine. Uh, yeah. Just, really just disappointed. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Nate, I want to ask you about Cape Epic really quick. So stage one was probably one of the more smoothish stages that we had. Uh, did it surprise you? Like it was not the fire road race that a lot of people anticipated. Did it surprise you at all? Uh, no, it wasn't. Um, it was more single track than I expected, but it wasn't a uh, technical single track. And that was yeah. actually was better than I thought it would be. Uh, mm-hmm. it was super fun actually. It was sweet. Like until I yeah. cramped and like dry heaved and hit my head. Like it was really fun. Did you get to the point where it was just like, you were riding on solid rock, like almost like Moab style stuff in that stage. I don't know if you remember. I don't that. remember dude. Yeah, oh, man. It got to a point where it was just like solid rock and it was really cool. It, what, a, I mean, we talked all about it. Obviously we had episodes every single day uh, coming from it, but it was incredible. One thing I realized, and I've gotten a few people asking about this we didn't really talk about the last day. We were all like really relieved to have done the race and had it over. So when we recorded the final stage podcast, it was like, okay, so what's our takeaways from the race? And we didn't really talk about the last day. And the only thing I want to say is that I think I had my best day of the entire race on the last day. It wasn't because my power was extraordinary. It was okay. But it was because I finally got to the point where I feel like I was managing things mentally really well. And boy, with like really hard stage races, Amber is probably has so much experience with this, but, uh, that's why doing it, getting experience with that and understanding where your headspace is going to be when you're just getting boxed into the ground every single day, uh, metaphorically speaking, uh, throughout this race, it's really tough to be able to believe and to get the most out of yourself. But at some point we'll talk more about it. It was incredible. That last stage was something special. I'll always cherish that memory. So, uh, Ivy, we have something else to talk about. Cyclocross national championships. You got fourth place in single speed. Yeah, I did. that is yeah. so awesome. You were on the. Podium. I'm sad though, and I feel bad talking about it. Like, yeah, it was great. Everything was awesome. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. Thanks. Uh, yeah. I've got a weird question. Do you think that single speeds were favored compared to gear bikes? Because the next day, I don't know if the conditions changed, but so many people, you included, had mechanicals because of just the sticky, nasty mud. Yeah, and I think. Uh, a little bit of those mechanical issues also had to do with the nature of the mud that was where that was there. Like mud is not mud. It's not all the same. Some of it is really tacky and picks up more easily than other kinds of like slick surfacey mud and whatever Chicago area mud is, it just picks up really well. And stuff was getting caught in people's drive trains and a tire clearance issue was a problem for like everyone. Um, one of the times that I collecting, right. One of the times that I ran into the pit, um, 
uh, in the elite race, um, my, I was just dragging my bike, like the wheels wouldn't spin and I'd carried it. It's they weigh like 30 pounds because they're so packed with mud and I ran forever and then finally got to the pit and it was just, uh, dragging it. The wheels would not turn (laughs) and you hear all the mechanics go like, like, (laughs) did you have multiple bikes Ivy? I did. Yeah. Um, so you had four, but did you bring four bikes to national? I, I had two bikes. Then um, you switched the drivetrain? Right. Mm-hmm. Cool. Wow. Yeah. And I then have, what I tires did you help. run in the mud? Uh, I have IRC slop chops, which are like super heavy mud tire. Mud tire. Mm. When you're in the mud, Ivy, do you like a wider tire, a thinner tire, like that type of mud? Thinner. Like thinner. I, I like to run small, like um, it means that you don't have as much surface area, but that's okay. That's a good thing. Um, especially if you know how to steer and handle in the mud, you don't need as much of a blanket to have a bigger tire and more surface area. You just got to kind of roll fast and try to pick up as little mud as you can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So why is it better to have, I think you just said, but explain more why is it better to have a thinner tire and how thin was your tire? Uh, <laughs> well, I don't, <laughs> I'm going to get dragged because I'm not like, I'm not an expert, but this is just how I feel. And I, I do things. I, I, I acknowledge that I make choices that not every other cycle cross professional does. Like I ran file treads for most of the season and, um, almost everyone else had mid mid treads. Um, and that's just a choice. Like I, I just really like them. Not a lot of people are comfortable on them or, um, Ivy's drifty. Yeah. Too middle, but I, I like there. it. I really like it. Yeah. So I acknowledge that I don't make choices that everyone else makes, but, um, I run 28 C tires. Um, that's wow, the maximum dude. that you could do for cross anyways. That's like, isn't yeah, it 32? 32 or is it 32? Yeah. I was like, Whoa, I can go bigger tires. Watch out next year. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So, um, I mean, there's a limit. You can't go like put forties yeah. on for a, yeah. a muddy race because you want to, or for a hard race. So what about pressure? So 28, what kind of pressure would you put on those in a huge mud race like that? I was running, um, 19 PSI in the front, 20 in the rear. And I run tubeless. Wow. Yeah. That's a, so that's way lower than what most people would expect for narrow tires like that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're running that because you want to cut into the mud, right. With that tire, like you want to get down to something that's a bit more solid. Is that the point with running the skinnier tire? Yes. And, um, with the tire pressure too, it's not a rocky course. There weren't like tree branches. Um, I think there was one tiny gravel section, but there's really nothing that you can, like, if you run a lower tire pressure, nothing that you can really flat on. Um, so yeah. Did tire, I see you tire talk in a picture, like an, a hand up of alcohol? Um. The <laughs> Is that it right? Was hot chocolate. Nate. Yeah. It was hot chocolate. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Which race did you get fourth drinking? Like whiskey? Drink. I took a jello shot in the single speed race. Um, because <laughs> I really probably shouldn't have too. like, Fifth place was uh, chasing me down, but in the nature, you have to. It's single speed. You have, you have to. to. Like you will yeah. be disqualified if you do not drink alcohol in your bike race in a single speed race. John, no wonder. John yeah, that's why I don't nationals. single speed. Yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> <laughs> the only reason I haven't won, everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it was, there's a really good video on Instagram. Uh, I'm going to find it. People should find Ivy's Instagram 
But Ivy, I hopefully hopefully this isn't making you uncomfortable, but it's awesome. No, it's endearing okay. and, and she cool. Covers her face. It's like, it's <laughs> in, in like shame. John, it's keep like, going. Keep going. It's She's fine. awesome. I don't know. I thought it was a great video, but that was when your bike it was in the geared race and your bike was just completely beyond repair, wheels not spinning. And you were I ran just... for like 25 minutes, I think. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. And yeah. I had just I like had it. And I was pretty bummed out because I was um riding within the top 10 in the first lap when stuff oh. started to go sideways. And oh. that's for sure one of the best rides for me all year. Like I do well in the mud. I was hyped. And so I got really sad and then it was like, well, I'm not gonna be able to make fans or homies based upon a result in this bike race. So I better make fans another way and make my sponsors proud. And they know exactly who I am and <laughs> why yeah. I am this way. So I knew they wouldn't be like, bummed out if I, I took a just drink out here or in, six. I don't know. Endearing herself to all of us. It's awesome. Yeah. What's the video? Oh, I just, it. I just got caught in 4k, just drinking profusely <laughs> on the side of the course in multiple areas, like whiskey flasks and, and people's beers and jello shots. It's and pretty great to hear the commentators, uh, commentating over it. It's, it's <laughs> yeah. awesome. It's a good clip. So yeah. I thought first, first Ivy, like that was in the same race as when you got fourth. I'm like, she's an animal <laughs> and get fourth place. Like what if she didn't drink? She would have won. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. So what is uh, Ivy? What's your Instagram? Oh, at Ivy Audrain. How do you spell Audrain for those listening? A-U-D-R-A-I-N. I forget that sometimes people don't watch this on youtube where we have our little instagram handles some people it's on spotify way more people listen to the podcast and see us on youtube that's oh, the wow. truth yeah that. well that's awesome i, I thought Thanks. it was cool it's the spirit of cyclocross too like uh that's one of the cool parts about cyclocross is it does have like a really participatory fan experience and it's more fun like there's a yeah. fun atmosphere around it you know like it's super cool like c- contrast that with like uh you know uh road racing or anything else like that or you know, mountain bike national championships, for example, it feels very different. So it's pretty cool. Honestly, it's like for bike racing, it's unless I know, really know the people racing, it's the only race. Like I like to go to where I don't know anybody besides like a really huge crit. Yeah. Uh, a lot of other races just aren't fun to show up to where they're like, you go to it and there's like food trucks and everyone's kind of partying. You can like, you're inside the race and you see so much race coverage. And then there's races back to back. You're running around the course. Like when so they have nationals features? here. Yeah. What? There's so many features yeah. too. Like it's cool. And it's yeah. like, go to the sand pit, go to the run up, go to, you know, whatever else it is. It's, it's super yeah. fun. Yeah. And you can see the attacks and stuff. And especially at when, how it was at uh, Reno and the nationals here, the course was laid out where you could kind of see almost the whole course. So as you're in, they did at a uh, cross Vegas too, where you could see attacks and like watch people the whole time, which is very unique. Cause even in a crit, like they go around the corner and you're like, okay, I'm going to wait three, four minutes before they come back again. And they yeah. come back by at 30 miles per hour. But in a yeah. cross race, you can almost sometimes like run with them, right? Some of them are running. Uh, yeah. Some of them run for 25 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> then it's you can true. also fuel uh. them or you can hydrate them on the course too, which is, which is nice. Yeah. Sports yeah. drink. Yeah. yeah, sports drink. <laughs> yes. yes, I think that's what the commentator said. It was a replay yeah. too. Like they, yeah. it wasn't just on the live feed. They like did a replay of it, trying <laughs> to expose analysis. me out here. Like, <laughs> yeah, it just makes sure. you everyone's fam fam favorite. Ivy, that's what, yeah, that's what was happening. So it's um, it is a UCI rule to not do that. Um, so I'm, and the UCI rules apply at national championships. So I'm pretty surprised I didn't get served a DQ, but. Yeah. 
That's uh, I would have been proud of that. <laughs> <laughs> At that point, when you're running for 25 minutes with a mud clogged bike, eh, what's the difference, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, next week, uh, there's going to be a special episode of the podcast. It's going to be an episode that I recorded with uh, the most uh, successful, I would say, probably the most experienced uh, coach in the US right now. He's brought athletes to 14. Oh gosh, I'm gonna mess it up. It's Jim Miller. He's uh, the director of of I think high performance and also another title at USA Cycling. We talked all about traits that he recognizes in successful athletes. So he coaches Ooh. Kate Courtney, Christopher Blevins, a um, bunch of stuff. It's a really interesting podcast. So stay tuned for that one. And while that's airing, I will be getting my legs torn off because uh, I'm doing a training camp with Keegan in Tucson, Arizona. So I'm going to throttle myself into the ground, uh, trying to hold onto his wheel while he's probably just chatting the whole time. So thoughts and prayers, uh, thoughts and prayers. Thank you. <laughs> we'll need that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Nate, uh, you shared this on your Instagram. It's FTP estimation. It's something we've been working on. You may have even hinted at it on the podcast before. Do you want to chat remember. a little bit about it now? <laughs> Do you want to chat a little bit about it now? Like uh, anything yes. you want to share? Cause it's a future thing that we're working on now. Um, but yeah. So we talked about before about our FTP prediction stuff that we've been working on. That's the very beginning of uh, when we first talked about adaptive training. And that has a whole bunch of data in it with a whole bunch of features. And what we do is there's there's different ways to predict your FTP or estimate your FTP. And I'll, I'm going to describe both and you'll kind of get an idea of what it is in the end. There are ways where you could take a ramp test, right? So you take a ramp test and then we do a formula based on what your result is. And then what that gets an estimation of your FTP. There are ways where you might look at past um, what your recent PRs are, right? How long you did in different stuff. And that could estimate your FTP. A bunch of different ways. Um, some software do other ways. There's a 20-minute test that could estimate it. Some people say, you need to ride for 60 minutes all out. That gets your FTP. Uh, personally, the people who say that on the internet, I don't... It is so hard to do that. Like, so hard to <laughs> yeah. do that. That yeah. you will likely because of motivation not be able to hit what actually you could do for 60 minutes like twice a year i think is would be tough to do that really really well to go all out for an hour yeah john yeah i want to just bring something up uh all of these are different ways to estimate your ftp like even riding at an hour you're still estimating it because good luck actually find being able to ride there for an hour it's really tough that's why the hour record's hard otherwise the hour record would just be like cool my FTP is this and I can break the record and it would just be really straightforward. I guess it's probably that way for Filippo Ghana, but for everyone else, who knows? <laughs> um, but it's, it's all estimation. There's different ways to estimate it. That that's like, and, and it's important to keep in mind that FTP also isn't a physiological, like exact measurement as much as it is an estimation. So yep. it's, um, it's interesting. It's good to keep that in mind. So the, and two, the thing that we've mentioned before is when you go for those longer intervals, especially like the 20 minute <clears throat> or an hour, hour the most, you have to settle in at the correct average power, like the correct Watts. You have to know kind of what you're gonna be able to hold. Because if you hold five Watts too high for an hour, you will drastically, drastically like die. Like as you go through, because <laughs> if you're five Watts above your FTP and you go, you, you can do it on trainer road, do a hundred percent FTP interval, then do it at a hundred, hundred percent plus five Watts the time that it, you can hold that goes a lot less. And the opposite's true too. If you're below, you can go a lot longer. Uh, 95%, man, I, I can do that for a long time or used to, I guess still. <laughs> uh, so they, they go, uh, those, 
it just the, the longer ones you kind of have to know ahead of time. And that's part of it. And if you're a very high athlete and you're like world champ and you do all these things and you have blood lactate, maybe, but we like the ramp test because it is capacitive effort and it steps you up and it doesn't take as much grit because you really only go hard for mm, two and a half, three minutes, right? Those last ones are really hard. Um, even that is an estimation and there's life's a bell curve, right? So we aim for the middle. And then after that, what we do is adaptive training takes that information, looks at past training, and then puts you in the right workouts for different um, training zones. So VO2 max, threshold, sweet spot, and all of that adjusts. So that makes it so the ramp test doesn't have to be 100% perfect perfect for you. If you go, even if you don't go all the way out, adaptive training is going to catch you and and fix you and center you in. Okay. So we got the system to estimate your FTP and then adaptive training adjusts. So what we've done is we've got you know, I think 125 million rides in our system. Like that's a lot of rides, right? So we've built these features and what the features are for machine learning is, uh, ways to categorize riding riders. So there's different things that we built into this, both indoor and outdoor. And then what we've done is we've trained that against ramp test results. So we took all that data and say, okay, if this data happens, here's the ramp test result. If this data happens, here's a ramp test result. And we do that for, you know, I want to say, I don't mean to say many hundreds of thousands, like many, many, many um, <laughs> ones going through this. Yeah, definitely hundreds of thousands, millions probably. So this goes through and uh, what happens is we can get a prediction of where your FTP is, one based on the future of what you're going to do, which that one is, is coming and we're working on that. And that's also in like internal data. But also this is the cool one, predictive what your FTP is on that day. So what we are uh, working on to launch, um, hopefully in the next couple of months, I posted this on my Instagram. It was a story, so you can't see anymore. But it <laughs> is on your ramp test day, you have an option. Take the ramp test or let us estimate your FTP for you. You click it, you see the result, your levels will adjust, and then you can go forward. And if you don't like it, you can still take the ramp test if you want, or if you want to confirm it somehow like that. Now, the more you train, the more accurate this is going to be. If you haven't trained in six weeks, the range of what it could be will be pretty big. And with that, you could still use it, though. And then as you go forward, adaptive training will zero you in, right? Some people just hate testing, and it's actually – it can be a huge stress for people. Um, we know this, right? And there's, a, there's a, about 30% of our customers who just do not want to test. Um, there's probably another 30 or 40% of it that test but don't like it. And then there's people that just love to test it. We're going to leave the test for you so you can still do it. But the ability is where you want to go to a world where you never have to test. You just hit your ramp test day. We'll tell you what your new FTP is. Your levels will adjust. <clears throat> and then as you go through, all your workouts will adjust and be appropriate and still zero you into what it is. This is the world we want to go in. No more testing. See your FTP. Just go forward. Use the data. And you're still, um, instead of people will say, well, you're not tough because you can't do that ramp test. You don't get the day off, right? Now, mm. instead of doing the RAM test, you can get an interval workout. And I, especially those on a higher volume, a 90-minute interval workout, probably long-term going to be better than a RAM test for you. Uh, so you can add that extra volume on that day. You don't have to have the mental aspect of it. You can still have a hard day. How many people, too, um, this is just more about the mental aspect. You've had a workout that feels just as hard as a RAM test, Right. That can happen. But because the ramp test like assesses you, there can be an extra mental issue with it where it a workout, you just feel amazing because you went through it. 
I think it probably has something to do with like doing live doing a live ramp test in front of, you know, thousands and thousands of people and trying to manage a live stream and everything else. But we have a very broken relationship, the ramp test and I. It's it's you it's never bad. have to take it again. It's unhealthy. Yeah. yeah. I want to mention something, Nate. Uh, cause you mentioned that we were able to look at ramp tests and use that in training, all of this. We have really cool ways of validating that a person's achieved or scored FTP is actually representative of what they should be at. So, uh, this is, uh, and this is actually kind of going down a different rabbit hole, but let's talk about this because this is important responsibility with data and doing things right and honest with data. Cause, uh, some of you and I'm included in this. Sometimes we just guessed our FTP. We're like, yeah, I feel like I'm 315. Uh, <laughs> and then, <laughs> and we're probably not. So if we were to just take everybody's, whatever their walk KG is or whatever their FTP is, when we look at data and take that at face value, we could be having really bad data going into everything that we're looking at. So instead we we've built up these different, basically these different things that we do that allow us to double check to see if, is that person doing training that backs up that FTP? Or is it indicating that it's lower than that? Or is it indicating that that's too low for them? So when we're looking at this, it's not just taking it purely based on what people are saying or purely based on ramp tests or anything else. We're also looking at subsequent workouts to validate that. Yeah, you're and right. it's so important. And that's like, let me tell you, it's so hard. Um, one of Alhan, he's one of our fantastic team members here. He and I look at the data a ton and we're looking at different things and we're trying to answer questions that would be really interesting for all of you. And it is so much harder to answer those questions than you think, not because we can't get the data, it's to responsibly filter that data so that you're really getting good data. Mm -hmm. um, there's lots of it, but it really takes a lot of work. Um, so that's why you can always have confidence that if we release something, we are confident that that is honest data. Um, and it's something that, but still feel free to, to come at us with skepticism on that. I think that's healthy to question how we went about getting that data. And you should do that to everybody. Never just take anything at face value. That's why you don't read abstracts of studies. You actually look into them and see what they did. It's super important. <laughs> Some people Subtle. do. Yeah. <laughs> um, Some people so John, don't. That's true. Yeah. What John said is really important is the, uh, we're not just the ramp test, but we also looked at subsequent workouts. I did not mention that to be able to validate it. Uh, two, I want to be very clear on this. What we're not trying to do is estimate what your 60 minute power output is. Um, even Coggin himself talks about it. It's, it's any FTP is between 40 and 70 minutes, and you might not even be able to do 40, depending on your training history and stuff. Um, mm -hmm. what the goal is, and please hear me on this is to make it so that you get into productive workouts, interval workouts for a trainer road. And that is, so that's what we train on. What? What's your data history and what is the FTP that you're going to get that you can then do these interval workouts, build up and get stronger? Mm -hmm. um, there's so many aspects inside of the like holding it for that amount of time that is different. And what we know with our data is if you do these interval workouts, if you come into the system and do these things and we progress you, you will get faster at a very at a, at a good rate, um, depending on where your training history is like top mm -hmm. Amber probably wouldn't get, you know, isn't going to get 40 watts faster. Uh, but maybe Amber now. Yeah, we can make you 40 watts faster for sure. Probably right now, yeah. <laughs> no problem. That's like... That would be fun. <laughs> and it happens sure. to Amber. Uh, but that's... that's Because what will happen, I know what will happen with this, is people go in the forum and they will debate endlessly like, I, heard, I held it for 37 minutes. Therefore, the algorithm's off for uh, by this much percent and blah, 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 blah. And I did this. And, but it is... 
again, to get you into the right spot to do this system of workouts, and then adaptive training will adjust after that. So even right. with the levels, the levels give you so much cushion that even if it is five watts too high or too low, effectively with the level system, you can it like down adjust or up adjust your FTP because there is that room. So instead of doing 102%, you're doing 100%. And that is the difference in five watts. But the system, mm-hmm. instead of like having your FTP update every day and always doing the same intervals, you're doing different intervals. And the back end, we're seeing the FTP change. Right. Um, that's kind of hard conceptually to get it, but uh, I don't want to just say trust the system, but yeah, trust the system. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it works. Yeah. And two, I just, uh, we have, sorry, Amber, one more thing. Oh, go ahead. Uh, we, didn't we just have like a national champion. Oh, yeah. Like, Adaptive training, like, uh, he's, he's actually on the successful athletes podcast, uh, and you can check it out. It's amazing. His name's Jim Mueller and he is 74 years old. He won cyclocross national championships has been his goal for a long time. He thought that he had plateaued two or three years, three years ago. He thought he had plateaued at 250, and he was like, well, I'm, you know, I'm 72. Like that's to be expected. Uh, I guess I'm just going to be stuck here at 250. Then he started using adaptive training. And then he saw huge progress and went up to 270. Um, it's it's incredible, and it's not just him. Like this is, I'm gonna, I may be wrong here, Nate. Correct me if I am, but right. I feel like adaptive training is across the board the most successful feature launch we've had in terms of accomplishing the goal of making people faster. It's like, it's massively effective. It's so cool to see. So that's what I want to. So this is specifically related to some people on the internet who will write about this is they will say this, I'm just going to preempt this. They will say, because you aren't doing 60 minute power, you cannot get effective training on that. And what I say to that is one, well, you can just see people's FTPs go up, but two successful athlete, how do we get so many national champions? Uh, and world next champ, week is a world Brandon champion, Mead. Xterra world champ next week. I'm interviewing. And then Brandon, uh-huh. our COO. How do we get so Xterra many of those? Champ. If this is ineffective <laughs> training, like what is the, what is the one that is so effective that's even better than that that beats all these national champs that we crave? Yeah, 69 you know, episodes of successful athletes that you can go listen to and how they use Trainer Road to accomplish something awesome, something meaningful. Okay. To all so they can argue that of like, well, if they didn't do that, they would have won national champs by four minutes instead of two minutes. <laughs> well, let's uh, race them. <laughs> Let's go toe to toe and see what happens. Just kidding. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I like it. Sorry, Amber, I'm in sorry. my little soapbox here, but. Uh, <laughs> I'm less, I'm even less filtered now, John, which is yeah. <laughs> probably need a mute button. Go ahead. Amber, for the audience. Yeah. Oh, I was just going to touch back. Um, I don't want to derail us at all, but I just was going to touch back on the concept of using capacitive efforts. Like I think there's a bit of a mis, um, a myth or, or a misconception that the more experienced you are, the more Truly, I mean, the better you get at those capacitive efforts, but honestly, like even the top athletes who are time trial specialists or even pursuit specialists on the track, they will spend an entire career figuring out how much they can get out of their body over a given period of time and probably never arrive at the perfect answer. Like it's a, it's a constant process of improvement and learning and nobody ever, you know, is like, oh, finally got it. I know how to do it. I'm going to nail it every time. It just doesn't work like that. So especially for, and again, I'm talking about, you know, really top level athletes who are going to continue to learn how to pace a 20 minute effort, going to continue to learn how to pace a one hour effort over the course of an entire career and continue to get better at that. So it is, um, it is a learning curve and 
So it is, again, like John was saying, like Nate was saying, it is uh, still going to be an estimation if you're doing that. Even if it feels like you got everything out of yourself, you probably learned something in the process about how you could do it better next time. And that never goes away. (laughs) For sure. But the nice part of it is even if you do that kind of testing with our system because of adaptive training, it will zero you in after that. Exactly. Uh, Which is so cool. The flexibility is key, right? It works with you. Because from day to day, and Amber knows this, I mean... Didn't we see this? I don't know. Did Ghana win the world championship again this year? I don't think he did. I could be wrong, but like Amber, you, you rode with Amber Neiman and all of these, like, and, and you rode with Mario Voss and all these like yeah. incredible time trialists. They still didn't have it dialed every day. Like no. your ability to, to perform to your potential varies from day to day. And that's why something like this is so important to keep in mind that it doesn't have to be so strict. Uh, Eli has a good question. Will you be showing the error bars on the thing right now? No, um, there are, I understand there's like 2% of you who are like, I want the actual, like write down the stats. Cause I want to know <laughs> in our system, we have error bars and we have confidence of like low, medium and high for the FTP estimation. And basically if you haven't been training, it's going to be low. And if you've been training a lot, it's going to be high. Uh, and we decided, um, that for, for the vast majority of people, that level of detail will just be confusing. And even if we are like on a medium or even low, because we have adaptive training afterwards, it's good to just go with it. And we will then zero in after that and learn more than to skip the ramp test or not want to do it or be like, oh, it's low. So I'm going to push this ramp test off. Um, we, we're not going to do that. Um, I, don't, I don't, we have no plans to do it. We'll see how the whole, the general market does it, but I know there's going to be people on our forum, uh, forum.trainer.com, who are going to be like, I need the exact stats and stuff. Sure. Maybe we'll do a blog post about how it works. I'm not sure, but that's, yeah, we have that, that plan. maybe could help. Yep. Yeah, we have that plan. So let's get into some questions. This one's from John. He says, we are here a lot about how workouts should be targeting specific energy systems, that there are only three energy systems, aerobic, anaerobic, and neuromuscular. <clears throat> Yeah, a lot of the trainer road workouts, especially threshold and sweet spot workouts, seem to focus on developing, and he says in quotes, muscular endurance. While this is a seemingly intuitive term, you want the needed muscles to be able to do what is needed for longer. And while it's just as clear why this is something that cyclists in most disciplines would covet improvements in, could you please explain, one, what physiological adaptations are targeted or achieved in these muscular endurance-focused workouts, and two, what types of race day improvements we might hope to attain from them. Thank you from John. So I'll just explain muscular endurance really basically. So typically muscular endurance is referred to when you're talking about riding at uh, high percentages of your threshold, but not exceeding your threshold. Right? So just like John pointed out, we're talking tempo sweet spot into just the lower portions of threshold before you get to actually your threshold. And really all you're trying to do is you're trying to make it so that your body can process more sugar, right? It's, it's trying to process more glycogen. And if you can do more of that, you can create more, you can have more fuel, create more energy and put out more power. That's like the very basics of what you're trying to do. So what that looks like down at the small level is more mitochondria, more efficient mitochondria, whether that means more muscle fibers or whether that, whether that means that they're more dense with mitochondria. But the point is you're just trying to make your body be really good at turning glycogen into energy like that and push the pedals. So that's kind of the basics of what's going on down in the body. Now, in terms of how you go about this, that's like a bit of a different discussion and we can 
talk about how it's applicable and all this other stuff. But uh, Amber, we talked about this before when we were planning this podcast, maybe it was in a separate meeting, but I feel like in a race, if you were to like draw a suspension bridge and as like a visualization of your graph, you have towers, then you have the cables connecting them. And we look back at the race. We think that the decisive moments were those towers. And while they may be decisive, they were entirely bridged together and they're, they're connected and dependent on that cable in between. So it's all the time in between those really exciting moments of a race that really matter. And isn't that where like this sort of stuff, the muscular endurance really matters and long road races in particular, but all sorts of racing. Yeah, exactly. Because what happens, but you know, between one major selection moment in the race and the next is, you know, the first selection moment is going to be hard. It's going to take something out of you. And then if you are more efficient in the time until you have the next selection moment, you're going to be better prepared and fresher for that next selection moment. And that's really the piece that is important to remember because when we are reflecting back on a race, it's usually those moments of selection that are the most emotionally charged and the most painful. So we tend to remember those the most um, and think that, oh, that was where I lost the wheel or that was where I couldn't hang with the group. So that was where the problem was. But in fact, it's all of the things that led up to that moment. How, you know, what were all of the small things that you did leading up to that moment that may have either increased or decreased your ability to express your fitness in that moment? So that's things like fueling and being really efficient at lower power levels um, so that when you have to hit those higher power targets, you really, you know, you're just that little bit fresher than everybody else around you. That's it's, it's those small changes that make a really big difference. So like John's saying, that's that suspension cable between the bridges. If you think about it in that visual mm. for yeah. Ivy, sorry, Nate, go ahead. Yeah. This, uh, so the, the statement is true, but how you improve those systems, uh, there's many ways to do it. And there's many things that in fact impact how well you, you, uh, how much power you can put on each one of those systems. And what you, you might want to, what I hear on the internet a lot is people focus on one thing and ignore mm. everything else. And then they, <laughs> they kind of like try to, especially try to sell you that one specific thing and then try to, you know, poo poo on other Downplay people. The rest. Yeah. So the, the best, the best way to see this, and this is a chart you can Google it, uh, you type in Coggin expected physiological adaptions from training zones and it shows training zones one through seven. And I'm going to name, um, all of the things that improve and depending on what zone you are, there was seven zone model. They influence different things differently. And all of this data has come from research where people have specifically, they've measured specific things based on time and training in these zones. And, uh, but while I read these, just know that I cannot read or pronounce things. Okay. So just keep that in mind, uh, increased Plasma volume, increase mitochondrial enzymes, increase lactic threshold, increase micro muscle glycogen storage, uh, hypertrophy of slow twitch muscle fibers, increase muscle uh, capillarization. Capillar, I can't say that word. Cap- capillarization. Muscle capillaries. Yes. Uh, <laughs> interconversion of fast twitch muscle fibers, type 2B to type 2A. Increase stroke volume, maximal cardio output, increase VO2 max, increase muscle uh, high energy ATP PCR stores. Increase anaerobic capacity, hypertrophy of fast twitch muscles, and increase neuromuscular power. So on this chart, what you will see is 
he puts X's about each one of these zones, they change. So like um, uh, VO2 max increases plasma volume a lot, and, uh, and, but reactive recovery does not, right? I think we all know that, that that's true. But it goes through all of it. And this chart also shows sweet spot where inside of that, you get a lot of benefits um, of both uh, tempo and threshold, but you get to be able to recover more than threshold or do it longer, and you get more benefits than tempo. And this is why he's talked about sweet spot, and this is why we do it too, is that the time, it helps for time crunched athletes, which is the vast majority of people can't do the 20, 30 hours a week that Amber was doing. I even, how much, do, you're pro, but how much do you train per week? Are you doing 30 hours? No. <laughs> No. <laughs> <laughs> but your races are a lot shorter too. So it's a totally different. Yeah. And I work and I'm a plant yeah. mom. I'm busy. <laughs> but I bet you like I'm Vanderpool does 20 to 30 hours, right? Even on his short hour stuff, because he, he doesn't have work or plants to take care of. He has people to take care of his plants. <laughs> a needy right? squirrel at the window. <laughs> Follow oh, Ivy's no. Instagram for more on that. <laughs> oh, but that's, that's why. So yep. And then you talk about the principle of specificity. So if you are in a cyclocross race or a crit, or you're going to do have a long climb and you really, uh, you know, you're going to be on off or, you know, you need to be able to, to go up Alpe de Wes and have this really strong maintained power. That is where in our system with a uh, specialty, you really focus on the type of stuff you do inside of those races. Mm-hmm. And I think if, again, with our level system, especially on offs, that's the easiest way to, to see it. You might do on offs and do, I don't know, 10 of them like in a row. And the next week you can do 12 next week you can do 15 where the first time you did it, 10 was horrible. And how many times in a crit I've had it where there's just like it, there's that last on off surge that happens and everyone goes away and you're like, no. Yeah. And then you know, the you see the field slow down in yes. front of you. Right. So you keep yeah. the same, like the same distance that you just can't catch them. It's just because yeah. of one interval. Right. And this is why we, we train this way is that hopefully as you get better at it, you've got like five, six extra matches that you can then use later to attack. Um, mm-hmm. And in this other system, well, hey, there's only anaerobic, uh, neuromuscular and uh, aerobic. Why would I train this on off kind of stuff? Or uh, why would I train right around threshold? That doesn't make sense. Um, this is why we do it. Yeah. God, we're the- going to get so attacked for that statement. Like, yeah. <laughs> Go after on him. The- on the note of muscular endurance, I want to ask you, Ivy, because uh, cyclocross is known for being like super, super, super duper punchy. Mm-hmm. But with how you race it, it's not always punchy, right? And it's like you have plenty. Do you spend time in sweet spot around that range tempo when you're racing? Oh cyclocross? yeah, for sure. And even while there are there while there are features in a course that kind of demand for you to ride in a punchy style. And for me, my strength is, um, like accelerating out of corners and that's the kind of rider I am. Um, you can't necessarily maintain a good pace if you're just on and off the gas all the time, um, especially in cyclocross. So maintaining that steady effort is super important and, um, conserving energy and carrying momentum is so important in cyclocross too. Um, carrying speed into those features, um, and, muscular endurance is one of those things that I don't think about, uh, have no mental, like no brain space to think about this kind of stuff, uh, until I am in a race. And all of a sudden that kind of effort that 
felt bad two months ago, all of a sudden isn't making me tired. I'm not fatiguing in the same way in that same system. And then it makes Mm -hmm. sense. Yeah. It's, uh, I feel like the Nate mentioned the matches thing, right? And when you run out of that one match and it's just painful because they're just there, you cannot close that gap no matter what you do. It's that sort of stuff back to like what Amber said, when you've built up the muscular endurance that you need, you've just spent the rest of the time outside of those surges and those efforts where you got dropped. It was so much easier for you. You were just able to maintain, you weren't wasting all that energy. It makes such a huge difference. And that's one of the biggest things that I notice when you talk about from the base, from not being well trained with base training, and then actually having a lot of base training in you, man, you see a huge difference in that. And sweet spot in particular is so productive at working on muscular endurance. Um, one little like extra tip that I've found for me is when I'm doing my sweet spot work, I try to vary cadence cause I'm a mountain biker. And sometimes it just gets stuck at a really low cadence. Cause that's it's steep. And that's what you have road racing. This happens too, right? Um, it might also be in the opposite, but when you're working on this more steady state work, that's really productive at building muscular endurance in particular, vary cadence and try to be race specific with it. Um, I even drop far below that and I feel like it provides quite a lot of benefit um, for, for this sort of work. And you're going to notice the fact that attacks will hurt less, not because you're better at attacking, but you're better at everything else beside the attack, which is awesome. You'll also notice the fact that you'll be probably more efficient at utilizing energy across the whole spectrum of your ability to put out power. Um, it's just going to make everything else easier. And it's funny. It's, it's kind of like that um, silent <laughs> thing. Everybody says I suck at climbing cause I get dropped on climbs and we always tell them to look at everything else that they're doing in that race. And then if you make that better then the climb won't be as bad. So it's like a unsung hero, muscular endurance. It's never the thing that you're like, I won today because of my fantastic muscular endurance. No, you say it's your sprint or it's your ability to climb. I mean, but it makes you do in gravel races or True. some rolling road races, like those like four or five hour road races, it's like muscular endurance. Yes. It's the repeated 20 minute efforts that are not I threshold. Even, I even feel it in cross country races. Like after you hit, can you settle back in at like a pace that doesn't get you dropped off? Right. And that makes a huge difference, a massive difference. So it's why we recommend base training and why if you use plan builder and I mean, uh, nearly every case, you're going to get some form of base, even if it's touching up in between specialty phases and you're just going into a, to a race plan builder will still focus on base because it's important. So even in uh, those long, like really long gravel races, for example, where you would assume that it's mostly steady state, a lot of it's going to be steady state, but there are still moments of selection where you're hitting really intense power numbers. And again, it's not necessarily going to be your power output in that moment so much as what you were doing for the 30 miles before that selection moment. Um, a lot of the, the gravel racers uh, that you see being successful now talk about really it's the people who have the ability to dig deep and hit really intense power at the end of five hours, six hours, eight hours, 10 hours. Um, and all of that is less about your absolute power in that moment and more about what's been happening for those many hours ahead of that moment. That's a teaser into a future question, Amber. Yeah, very good. It's like she's it's like she's a pro at this. I'm in suspense too because I didn't read this thing ahead of time. Nate, <laughs> see, but that's how we get good. That's how we get the best out of Nate. Is when Nate comes in blind. Yeah, yeah. It's it's Especially off the cuff. I'm late for the podcast. I just gotta like slide in like 30 <laughs> seconds before we start. It's the way to go. go. 
Yep. Dylan says, my wife and I are a couple of weeks away from having our first child. I understand sleep may be hard to come by in the coming months. What do you say about that, Amber? What do you mean maybe? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But I've had a super productive off season thus far. 15% FTP bump using adaptive training. Boom, 15%. That is Boom. huge. Way to go, That's Dylan. Awesome. Uh, he says, and my training motivation is high. In this scenario, having a newborn or any other situation where you know your sleep and recovery is going to be hindered, would it be best to either alter your training to just one hour endurance rides that require less recovery or having fewer rides per week, but with a bit more intensity? Thanks guys and gals for all the hard work you put into the podcast. <laughs> I think what he should do is three workouts a day. Hey, get short. out of here, Nate. <laughs> Nate's um, attacking for those me for new listeners. Can you please describe this? We should. I wish yeah. we could just. I wish we had the staff where we could just cut back and forth like live to your quotes. Yeah, be, yeah. I've said a lot of dumb things. Uh, I eat a lot of words. Um, uh, yeah, I thought. Well, we're when we had our first, uh, we our little guy Simon. I was like, yeah, okay. Um, I'm just gonna split up my workouts into three times. He d- takes little naps. So when he takes a nap, I'll just jump in, I'll get in some intervals and then I'll just kind of piece it together. And by the end of the day, I'll have the workout done. Like I think three it, I 30 think minute it, rides. I think it might have happened one day. <laughs> <laughs> also, and were you just hanging out in your chamois all day too? Just like right. waiting for the, for the moment. Like, oh, gotta go. I experienced <laughs> clammy chamois. It was gross. <laughs> clammy chamois is the worst. Uh, I, oh, I took it off and then I put it back on. And that's yeah, Chad level. That's Chad level. Yeah. yeah. Chad doesn't mind though. That's the terrible thing. I don't know how it does it. So we can, we can roast Chad as much as we want. He's not on here. Right now, so, um, we do it while he's here too. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. But uh, Amber, this mm. is well within your wheelhouse. Uh, what this would you reality. say to Dylan? Like, do you want to just do all endurance work because then it's not as strenuous on your system? Although if you're doing a lot of it, it's still pretty strenuous mm-hmm. or do you do less rides and keep them more intense? What would, what would you say? Well, first thing is it obviously depends on your goal, but if you're, I'll answer this with the assumption that the goal is just to maximize general overall fitness. Um, and in that case, you know, I would, I would suggest sticking with a, a training plan because it'll end up being a mix of different uh, training zones and you'll hit those different energy systems. And I think that that would be the best use of your time is to mix it up a little bit. But I want to break this down a little bit further into two parts. So one is the planning that's going to be required for this and then the execution. And the planning is tricky because there's a lot that you can't plan for. So right now with our little one, um, when she goes down for a nap, it could be 10 minutes or three hours. We don't know. (laughs) So (laughs) it's really hard to plan. So when I say planning in this this instance, what what I really mean is talk with your partner about how you want to support each other to continue... Um, to include these essential elements of what, maintaining your own well-being in this time, right? Because it's going to be really important that you each take care of yourselves. And in order to do that now, you're really going to need to lean on each other for that support to make space for that. Um, it will not all be sunshine and puffy clouds, but I think it is really important for people to remember that as much as you're going to be there caring for this new little one, you need to continue to invest in your capacity, to care for that little one. And that gets harder and harder as you start losing sleep um, and becoming more and more sleep deprived. That's, that's the big one that people talk about, but there's a lot of other stressors that come with it. I mean, this is a new human being that is a hundred percent dependent. And so the amount of time and attention that it takes is really hard to wrap your mind around even as it's happening. And it's even harder to do that before it happens. So it's really good to have these conversations with your partner ahead of time 
at least establish some expectations so that you're really on the same page together about how you want to approach it. And pretty flexible about that. But the communication piece is really important and it's good to start opening that line of dialogue ahead of time. As far as getting specific about training recommendations and planning the specific training, again, I would highly recommend going with some kind of a training plan, but really dial back that volume. Go to the lowest volume possible plan um, as a starting point. If you can add more, that would be great, right? But start with the lowest volume, stick with a plan so that you have that mix of different energy zones that you're touching. That would probably be the most effective thing for your fitness. Um, And that's kind of what I would recommend in terms of planning. And then when it comes to the execution, I'm a little bit partial. I would recommend letting adaptive training manage your misses and account for disruptions that come up that are unplanned. Um, But the take home here is that you need to be very, very flexible. And I want to share somebody something that somebody shared with me recently that was very valuable. And it's something that I want to share because I think it would be a really good way to frame this for you going forward. When it comes to being a new parent, and this might apply to a lot of other life situations too, you have to earn your training, which sounds really weird to say. But what she meant by that is in order to train, you have to make sure that you've gotten enough sleep first. So did you earn your training by getting enough sleep? Did you earn your training by feeding yourself and nourishing your body? You have to be well-resourced to execute a training plan. And if you're not well-resourced, you need to focus on that first before you start adding training to the mix. So if you're struggling to keep yourself well-resourced with sleep and food to very basic essential ingredients to your well-being focus there first get a handle on that first and then add the training in so flip it on its head a little bit and start thinking about how you need to earn your training with sleep you need to earn your training with making sure that you're eating consistently and getting good nutrition you need to earn your sleep with making sure that you're managing your capacity to keep caring for this little new human and uh, make sure that you you're well resourced to do the training that you want to do before you start doing that training. So the biggest take home here, I would say is to adopt the mentality that you will need to earn your training from now on as you enter this new chapter. Oh, that's a, what a cool perspective. I really like that. That's cool. Nate. Yes. I'm going to disagree with Amber. <laughs> I love it. You always do this. Let's do it. <laughs> I think uh, Dylan don't do a training plan. What you should do is train now. And oh, I yeah. agree with Amber. There's Great two idea. things that you should do is you, so train now, we're, we're going to give you three workouts, endurance, uh, climbing or attacking workout, and you can then choose the time. So what you should do is you, when you have the time, you look at it and you think just when Amber said, did I sleep last night? How do I feel today? I'm okay doing, I kind of want to do intervals, but I don't have an hour or I'm tired. Mm-hmm. So you do 30 minutes and then instead of maybe productive workout, you're going to achievable workout. And just during this time, don't have the stress of a training plan or missing days, just however you feel and then choose those workouts. Hey, I only have 30 minutes to spin today, like real easy endurance stuff. That's perfectly fine too. And you had a 15% bump, which is gigantic doing some of these intervals and even just three days a week of some intervals is going to maintain a lot of that. And then when you do come back and your kid does sleep, um, which by the way, they'll, they'll always sleep and then they get teeth. And then you regress <laughs> and, then and they don't. It it's the whole, it's the new parents. You're like, they're finally and sleeping. And then like a week later they get teeth. Yes. Uh, so cherish those moments. <laughs> but, um, that's, that's how I would do it is not have the stress of it. Know that this is like a, like a bridge time and you can get a lot of, uh, what you don't want to do is load up like two hour interval workouts and right. cause you're not going to have two hours unless what Amber says is very, very key 
is you talk, you communicate with your partner and say, Hey, a priority for me, the time that I want by myself during this time is I want to have the time to do X amount of training. So I might want to do hour workouts, but I'm actually going to need about an hour and a half for my getting dressed post after maybe I take a shower. So when I start that time, can you just handle hundred percent of the kid and I don't have to worry and having that like communication. And then, you know what, there's going to be a time where it's going to be opposite. What, what would you like to have this alone time? Cause when it's always kind of, you don't have that planned and there's always like both parents, but like, Oh, it's, is it my turn? Your turn. That also is stressful inside of that. And just knowing when it's one person's turn versus another person, even like at night, like I'm going to get up tonight. You're gonna get up tomorrow night. That is also super awesome. Um, I had something else, but I forgot. I have nothing else well, to add on I, the parenting side. Um, Amber, I if totally you have agree with Nate about. Ahead. Yeah, I just want to say I agree with Nate about train now. And I think the part where our two perspectives are overlapping is that you definitely want a mix of intensity and endurance. Like it's not one or the other here. It's you want to have a mix of both. And then whatever is going to feel most manageable for you. If, if you're the type of person who's going to stress out over missing a workout on a plan ditch the plan, go with train now. And train now is really nice because you can dial in different durations and it will just boom. You don't have to scroll through library workouts. It'll just tell you, here's a great suggestion. You click it, you go, and you're, you are making the most of those precious minutes that you do have. <laughs> Dylan, you might be doing two to three 30 minute workouts per week mm-hmm. and that's fine. Yeah. That's great. Like I, yes. They, they're too, they're, they're short and they're intense, but it'll probably help your mental state. You'll feel great. You'll maintain a lot of stuff. I remember the other one I was going to say, make your bottles ahead of time, like yes. make your bottles and put them in there, set up everything as uh, like, put your shoes there. Always put a clean bib after you wash them, just hang it on your bike. So you can go in that room. You can change right there and you eliminate that time. And don't, this is another thing that I've done. Have you ever like procrastinated so much in getting on the bike where you like look at something that you look at the time you'd be like i'd be done with my workout or almost done with my workout <laughs> if i just would have started right away and as soon as yeah. you start it's easy as soon as you clip in and you start going and you're in that yep. warm-up it's like oh it's not so bad i'll try to eliminate it's like getting out of bed in the morning right it's like try to eliminate that i've i definitely sit in bed for 20 minutes and then i'm like i have no time i wish i had 20 more minutes like you did have 20 more minutes you just mm-hmm. were on tiktok that's horrible <laughs> yeah, no, so. it's great. We love TikTok. I <laughs> and I are big TikTok fans, but it's not a good way to start your morning on TikTok. Uh, Truth. Yeah. Yeah. I, I want to uh, pull this away because I, I, I don't know. Ivy, do you have anything to add on the parenthood side? I don't. Uh, <laughs> yes, so. I'm an expert. Let's go. Here we go. Do plants ever interrupt you? Yeah. <laughs> and what, yeah. And what age are kids okay to put in a burly trailer? Yeah. I, <laughs> the bike trailer? Yeah, yeah. Many of my childhood memories were like, I can guarantee you that my dad kept training and would just put my brother and I in a burly and I, I love to sleep in it. And just a couple hours later, I'd wake up and we were home. And I, I guarantee he was doing intervals with us in a burly trailer. Like, absolutely. <laughs> I think the age is like six months or something, I yeah. think. Or, but there's also, there's ones where like, I keep the kids head up because at first, like they're floppy, right? They're like, yeah. they can't do it themselves and they're bouncing around. And uh, other ones have like a, the chariot has like a, a, a hammock almost. So you can put the kid in to go earlier mm-hmm. inside of it. it uh-huh. There's a whole, there's a huge market for that. But I personally would not recommend to do intervals with your kids uh, in the bike and be like, <laughs> don't get cross-eyed. <laughs> that is a good, Hey, I'm going to be on some bike trails and be recovery riding and just enjoy it. And have my kids look around. That's yeah. probably, not. and stop. And we go to the park. 
that's probably yeah. better than yeah VO two max. On-offs. I do want to bring this outside of the context of parenthood and talk to people because that was one of the things that Dylan kind of mentioned, just people that are time poor in general. And I do think these principles still apply. And I think that endurance athletes being type A individuals often find themselves in positions of overcommitment and then fretting about not being able to fulfill on that commitment. And then it just adds an additional layer of success or sorry, of stress, not success, stress. And that can just make things even tougher for me personally. I, I really think that it's important for you to just try to do something rather than nothing. It's a great principle to follow and to start your way from the beginning rather than where you were when you weren't time constrained. Don't jump into it with the same expectations. Start really low and get easy wins there and then slowly work your way up until you find that you are achieving balance. Uh, don't go over the point where training starts to throw everything else out of whack. That's really tough. So I have nothing else to add. We do have rapid fire questions. Let's get into them. Uh, some of these we asked before and Ivy was on with me, but I feel like we have to ask them now that we have Nate and uh, Amber with us. So uh, some of these were submitted from Rachel. I also submitted a couple, but first question, is it wrong for a vegetarian to eat animal crackers? Yes. Next question. <laughs> Amber. I'm all right with it. I'll allow it. Oh, and Ivy said vegan or vegetarian <clears throat> has to like look in the eye of the animal cracker cracker and feel okay <laughs> eating it before they eat it's it. up to them individually you have to face nice. face the animal and decide it's not it's it's okay yeah way too symbolic it. for me uh, they can't do it it's not okay <laughs> so uh fill in the blank taylor swift is amazing brilliant <laughs> wonderful and I said a genius marketer is what I said last time. Uh, celebrity crush as a teenager. So mine, I don't know if she was even acting, but I just think of Jessica Alba. She's like my age, but for yeah. me, Jessica Alba. Yeah. You know, it's not adult crush. I don't know when she started an alias, but. Uh, that's awesome, Ivy. Uh, yeah. Uh, Amber, how about you? I said Britney I can't think Spears. of one. I'm, I feel really underprepared here. I don't have one off the top of my head. I'd have to think really hard on this one. So maybe we'll have to ask me on another one. Zach from Saved by the Bell. Was that it? Oh, for sure. No. Okay. No, no, no. no. Slater from Sa- Screech from Saved by the <laughs> Screech. Definitely Screech. <laughs> Screech. Okay. The the Willem Dafoe. By- me too. <gasps> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I do love him Fill in the He's blank. Awesome. This, the song Africa by Toto is... Super fun, amazing. Chef's Chef kiss. kiss. <laughs> <laughs> Work of art. <laughs> Work of art. I'll go with that one. <laughs> oh, I, I can't hear it. it Iconic. Hurts. It, it hurts my ears. The only time I really liked it was when we were in South Africa. We landed. It was raining, and Nate made a uh, TikTok about it. <laughs> we'll, a- we'll find you a pop punk cover of. Yeah, I'm all in then. Give me okay. a me first and the gimme gimme's cover and I'm all there. Yeah. I was at an entrepreneur's conference and there was a party going on and people from all around the world and the live band started to play that song and everyone from South Africa flipped out. Like it was, you <laughs> like know they, how like they in were America happy? people play like Journey and everyone yeah. like gets into it. That's what it was like for this. They all, they came to the front. <laughs> There's like a mob of like 12 of them singing every word, dancing together. Uh, it was amazing. fun. That song is the universal language. Um, okay, next one. Mario or Zelda? I was a Mario Mario Brothers kid. Mm. I was a Sega kid, so Sonic. Ooh. Mm. I never had a Nintendo ever. Uh, 
Zelda Ocarina of Time on N64 almost ruined my life in high school. <laughs> <laughs> Is there a story there's here? A story Can we there. hear it? Yeah, there's a story there for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I just I was obsessed and I have a player's guide. I might still have the player's guide. Like, I just loved that game. And I can still probably like hum the tunes of all the songs you can play on the ocarinas that like you know yeah do the actions of the whatever i was obsessed with that game and almost failed a couple of classes and yikes (laughs) i was super into it (laughs) a terrible movie or show that i love is my break (laughs) that's a good poll that's a good one yeah uh for me i it's so bad and I've stopped watching it, but the flash on CW, like, I seen that. I've never even heard of it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> it's so formulaic and the same each time. There's like five minutes of each episode that I like, and then you just sit through the rest of it. And I'm like, why are they doing the same thing every time? But yeah. Yeah. The flash. Yeah. Ivy. I love horror movies. And one of my favorites I now believe is a terrible movie, which is Midsummer. I love that movie. Sorry. I love horror movies. And it's like, a, I, I want, I ask other people to watch it with me or get my friends to watch it to me with me. And they're just like, Ivy, what the hell? Are you okay? Like, what's wrong with you? And I'm like, I love it. I, don't know. So, I said burn notice. It's like the worst show. It has like, it's terrible, but it's, you can't stop watching it. So yeah. Um, okay. And then last one, Netflix is doing a biopic on your life. Which actor or actress stars as you? Steve Buscemi. I want to say who. Oh, I didn't, I didn't have to think about that for a single minute. <laughs> Steve Buscemi. <laughs> That's amazing. It's, tragic. I, I, it's, tragic. it's harder. It's harder to decide who will play me, but I feel like Freddie Prince Jr. would play Nate. Anybody else agree? Do you know? Do you remember who that guy is? Anybody? Yeah, Nate, well, we remember. Well, remember, yeah. yeah. But we just don't agree. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody agrees. Okay. Nope. Right. I, I, I know who should play. I have my picks on who should play all three of you though. Oh, I think for weird. Ivy, it would be Margot Robbie or a young Jodie Foster. Oh yeah. Or Nate Lee Pace. We have to have a tall guy. Who's Lee Pace? <laughs> I'm Googling this right now. Oh, and for Jonathan, I would say James Marsden. I don't know Ooh, who that is yeah. either. Right. James yeah, definitely. Mar- the hair. I mean, come on. Marsden. Yeah. The hair. Totally. Oh, uh, that's quite a compliment. I've seen that guy in movies before. <laughs> there we go. Nate's, I have no clue. I've never what seen was him. John's? But, yeah. James Marsden. James Marsden. And you're Lee Pace. Dude, your guy is jacked, Nate. I just Googled <laughs> him. He's got some big muscles. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's also jacked. very tall. So just who Amber, what about you? I don't know. See, I just I picked for you guys. I don't know who I, I don't know who Sandra Bullock would play Amber. Oh, <laughs> that's so good. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to say for me, it's going to be Owen Wilson, not because we look the same, but he's always like, think in his movies, things, yeah, wow. like, bad, bad things always happen to him. And he's like, oh yeah, just kind of go through it. Like, like his life's like crazy. Just like, oh, doesn't really get super mad and just kind of rolls with it in all of his movies. Uh, he seems very easygoing. It's true. Yeah. yeah. I, I think that's, that's how I feel. Who would play me? Mm. Yeah. I have but no I would look like your inner spirit. Pace. <laughs> I like that. That's good. Bravo, Amber. I'm being like uber prepared on this one and being able to nail that one. I was prepared for. Hey, John, yeah, who I mean, would you choose to portray yourself? Me? Yeah. 
I don't even know. Let's see. That's an interesting one. There's like some sort of a leather couch thing here, right? Like this is like a, there's some sort of deep psychology and an inability to be able to say who would play you. I don't know. I, know. I feel you. I think I would go for like the LDS stuff, but go way over. So who plays someone who's just like super squeaky clean, like exaggerate it. Oh uh, yeah. 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 Okay. I can't think of an, I can think of uh, faces, but not names yeah and we all know it's brad pitt we can come out and say it it's okay it's brad pitt (laughs) let's move on okay bianca's question at what age will you retire and what sort of writing will you be doing most and i think she means retire like retire from work and then what will we because ivy's got a career amber had a career nate i'm retired yeah (laughs) nate and i do not have cycling careers so at what age will we retire from work and what sort of writing will we be doing most uh so i don't think i will retire it sucks hard to imagine that taking time off just as lame it seems like super awesome uh but it's not so yeah do something i will yeah and but if oh yeah ivy oh I think I'm going to pay student loans until I'm like 75. So I don't think I can. <laughs> no one's retiring. Yeah, Ivy, your, your screen just froze with a grimace face while that, while you said student loans and it was perfect. It was wonderful. So yeah, it was a meme in and of itself. All, all I know is that I'm going to have like a gorgeous titanium bike, bike road bike. And I will just do like a fun, like I'll, I'll basically live the Marin County life. That's the dream, right? Like, go to above category cycling, have a bound and just ride up Mount Tam every day. That would be a dream. Would love that. Yeah. But I don't think I'm ever going to retire. So I think retirement is a boomer thing that doesn't exist anymore. So, <laughs> okay. Uh, this one, I really quickly want to cover. It's just, we got a lot of athletes because tons of you have big goals for next year. You're signing up for train road and checking things out. So I want to answer this in a rapid fire fashion, but what plan to pick and how to adjust the answer is adaptive training and plan builder. Boom. Uh, it's done. Um, but a co- bit more deep, but honestly, it really is like, you don't have to worry about what plan to pick it's done. The only time, if you do have a question where you're like, well, this event's like a mountain bike gravel hybrid sort of a thing. Uh, if you have questions like that, then you can always ask our support agents and they'll be awesome and able to help you, uh, kind of navigate to see which discipline you should select. <clears throat> But a number of you are asking, what if I have multiple A events? If they're more than six weeks between, that's fine. Uh, Plan Builder will trend your fitness appropriately in between those events. So you just put them on your calendar and you're set. If you have less than six weeks between, then you have to pick and choose. Uh, And that's good. You should pick and choose anyway. Don't fill your season with like six A races that are just like perfectly spaced out. Instead, pick one that you really want to go for, maybe two. Uh, when you get to three, it gets pretty tricky. Chances are you're not going to get like, you know, true peak fitness out of yourself three times. That might be pretty tough. Um, then if it's a season or a race, you have a a season of races that you want to do versus one single race, one single race is easy. We've already talked about that. If it's a season, once again, pick and choose, uh, don't peak for the whole 14 week season. That doesn't exist. Uh, (laughs) doesn't work. That's like saying I jumped negative three feet high. It just doesn't work. So, uh, but in this case, uh, pick one. And I would not pick the first race unless there's some sort of strategy to this that you have. Instead, I would pick something that's somewhere around the halfway to the uh, two thirds of the way through. Uh, so that way you can finish strong when other people probably peak too early and are going to fizzle. So you can capitalize on that. Uh, okay. Last rapid fire question. Casey says, 
Going off of last week's rapid fire question about the hardest events you do again, which of the past podcast races slash challenges would you be most and least excited to do again? And I have a list of these and some of you haven't done them, but just the same, which ones would you be least or most excited about doing? There's Everesting, single track six, 24 hours in the old Pueblo, Mount Achaia. That's the highest mountain in the world uh, for that. You can climb on a bike continuously, I guess. 40 kilometer time trial, uh, the road stage race. I assume that one is going to be Valley of the Sun that we did. And then Cape Epic. Who's Everested? Well, I can let you all know. Just follow me on Instagram. You can check it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah I know time. it's last for me. Single track six. That was <laughs> terrifying, terrifying, terrifying. It was gnarly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which one would you be most excited to do, Nate? Uh, I like road stage race. That's the one that I like the, the variety that's, that's super fun. And if you don't hit it one day, you can hit it the next day. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that would be the top one. Then the other ones that I like to do, I mean, Mauna Kea, 40 K TT, um, Cape Epic for sure. And the grueling 24 hours in Everesting is those are just grueling. I don't like 24 hours in Old Pueblo just because of not being able to sleep. Um, mm-hmm. That's the only – the course was awesome. If I could do it in a team where I where I would do it all during the day for a few hours and sleep all night and then do it in the morning, I guess you can do that. We're doing hey, it Nate, this year. Do it. I am. I'll do it with you, Nate. I'm going to drink Four loco all night and just be <laughs> up all night. And <laughs> I'm ready. Uh, we're, we're doing that. I, I, I'm on a team, and uh, it's like my brother, then a bunch of like uh, cyclist people. Sophia's on the team, handful of other people. And I'm trying to pack the team as full as possible. So then I don't have to do a night lap. So that's my hope. <laughs> They're all going to, you get like Sophia and Keegan to do all at night. Keegan's doing it solo. He wants to do the record. Oh, he'll do it. Yeah. So he 100%. wants to. <laughs> oh, you yeah. know what I'll do? Yeah. Wait, when is this? I'll just come. <laughs> it's February 5th. <laughs> yeah. I should not do this right now because of my concussion. Yeah. But if my schedule works out, I'll come and just hang out. It's just going to be a good time. And yes. it's cool because you know how we were like, we kind of, we wanted to do well. And then we had to pivot our plans because Chad didn't do it. And then Brandon crashed and all of us were just like, this is rough. Our team does not care. Like if, if we have a rider not out on course, like no one's going to care. Everyone's gonna be like, how's the pizza? Like, that's what we're more <laughs> focused on. Like, and so it's going to be, and I think that that's kind of the general vibe of the event and we're matching that vibe. It's going to be a lot of fun. So I, I Richie Rude's on the team. I so it's going to be fun. Yeah. Uh, well, we'll, we'll, we'll post plenty of stuff on Instagram and TikTok for you. Nate. It'll be good times. Uh, Amber, which one would you be most and least excited about on that list? Road stage race is probably low on the list because that's like, I've been there done that situation. Although 40 K TT and Everesting are also pretty low on the list. Those might all three be tied for like, absolutely. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um, have not experienced single track six, six or 20 I'll hours of old Pueblo, but now that you're describing 24 hours, it sounds pretty good. Oh, it's six yeah. single track six, huh? Um, so maybe Monica and Cape Epic are the ones that are the Ooh. most intriguing to me. I just want to say too, single track six setup was awesome. If you're a mountain biker, if you like are comfortable with your skills, it's amazing. Beautiful. Right, John, right? Yes. Oh my gosh. So cool. Like the coolest. Yeah. Yes. If you're not comfortable with your skills, it's like that. What you, what's that snowbird place where it's like oh, people yeah. were giving one stars. John, you t- tell that story <laughs> yeah. for a second. Yeah. My friend Dave actually came up with the marketing thing, uh, the marketing campaign for this, but, uh, 
people were leaving one star reviews and they were like, this place is terrible. Did they even groom any of the runs? It was all steep and rocky and filled with shoots and amazing drops. Like <laughs> they didn't say amazing. They're yeah. like, this resort sucks. So then he turned it into one star reviews that came into a huge advertising campaign where he was like, check it out. This place is way too hardcore and amazing. Turns out, you know, that actually worked really well. It was like one of the best advertising yeah, campaigns. A, I've ever a had. lot of people love it. So yes, want to say, we want the rough stuff. Single yeah. track sick. <laughs> amazing race. If you're a mountain biker. Yeah. One star Group review. Premium. This place is just that this race is just way too incredible as way too many gnarly <laughs> trails. The drop, the drops were awesome. The flow was great. <laughs> yeah. That's basically what it was like. Yeah. Ivy, we should have probably put cross Vegas or cross Nats on here, but yeah, I haven't done yeah. like any of these. Uh, <laughs> do, you not, do you not want to do any of them? Uh, I really, I don't want to do everything ever. Um, and I actually, I don't want to do Cape Epic, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, I'm really funny. interested in single track six and 24 hop, but I don't know. Ooh. Single track six would be amazing. You would love it. Just don't bring yeah. your hardtail. Ben's uh, question. Top of oh, that list, yeah. sorry, would be Cross Vegas. Cross yeah, Vegas. Sure. Yeah. Bring it back. Yeah. Yeah. That was a sweet race. It was so cool. much fun. Yeah. So much fun. They have like a mini golf features that you like that cool, huge wall ride and stuff. And like, it's cool. It was a super fun vibe too. <clears throat> okay. Ben says, I'm new to train a road and love the product. I have a question about my struggles with fast starts on group mountain bike rides. The lads head out very fast. And I find myself at max heart rate and quads feeling like swollen balloons for the first 10 minutes. I eventually settle into a rhythm and can keep up. He says, I don't see others in so much pain. I, uh, he says, I'm more muscular and, and he says more muscular than lean. If that is a helpful data point, appreciate your thoughts. Cheers, Ben from Victoria, Australia. So Ben, I assume that what you're talking about when you say more muscular than lean, meaning that you just carry more mass, um, than perhaps the other riders that you're with. Um, so that probably hints at power to weight ratio. Isn't like that of uh, Chris Froome or something, which none of us are. <clears throat> so I assume that's what you mean by that. If I'm wrong, I apologize. I mean, this is common, right? Like group rides, people get together, egos come together and they just want to go hard and they go hard at the beginning of rides all the time. This is every mountain bike ride I've ever done with John. He <laughs> <laughs> talks to me while it happens. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, yeah. But it, this is super common, right? Um, group rides across the board. Also, Ben, he says that I don't see others in so much pain. I bet that they are uncomfortable. They're just masking yeah. it. Right. Amber. It's so easy to assume that everybody else feels great and has it all together and you don't but that's almost never, ever the case. So don't let it get in your head. If you start assuming that you're in less pain than the people around you, magic can happen. Mm. Yeah. Good tip right there. Ivy, how about you? Like, uh, do you notice early season when your fitness isn't where it needs to be with cyclocross? Cause cyclocross starts crazy hard. You, I'm sure you feel this, right? Yeah. And I, I feel like so many of those efforts that you do during the build season and training road has numerous workouts like this, where you begin a effort with a like 10 or 15 second, really hard effort. And then no, like no rest, just settle back into the effort. And I feel like that emulates starting really well. Um, and I actually, I feel bad. I misread this question. I thought it was mountain bike races. So I was like, yeah, mm. practice like starting, like it's a race. Um, but I think being able to start do a hard effort and settle right, right into riding hard is, um, important to not feel, uh, not feel so taxed in the first 10 minutes. That's, it's always a hard 
thing for me when I first get into build and start doing like race group rides and is start really fast and I'm not ready the first <laughs> 10 or 20 minutes. Sometimes I never recover. Sometimes I can never get on top of it after those hardest parts. Mm-hmm. So it has a lot to do with where you are in your season, um, preparing for that, practicing, doing those hard starts before hard efforts. Mm-hmm. Uh, ben, you attack them and establish dominance. No, what, uh, obviously we, I mean, warm up. Okay. That's yeah. great. The other thing, um, I learned this with the super sapiens, like glucose thing I was wearing that, uh, it takes time for your body to like, uh, pull glucose from your bloodstream. At first it's like your liver. And on the days that I did not have one, I, I did not eat like two to three hours before, but also uh, like a gel, you have to time it right. 20 minutes was actually too much time in front of me. Like a five minute, five minutes before you start, gel helped a bunch. And, it's and then 15 the other one for is, me, by what? the way. So, and it's 15 for me. So hammering home the point, figure out where you feel like you have ideal energy levels after you yep. take that in. Um, th- that is a huge part that I would notice in interval workouts, like timing that just right. Um, my glucose would respond way differently inside of the ride and I would feel way better and that's settling in. And that's also the warm up will help you get past that point where it won't matter, um, as much, but if it is like a cold start, something that can help. And then, um, especially if you're bigger, the way that you ride the accelerations as a big guy myself and being heavy, it is, it's the little accelerations at the beginning where you're not carrying your momentum as well in a crit, but especially a mountain bike start where there's like little things is super hard. Um, and, uh, ask them a question. So what, tell me about your yes. life. Uh, yes. that, is, that is the secret one. I always do that. If someone's like half wheeling me on a climb, I'll like, I'll ask them a question that's open-ended. What was mm-hmm. it like growing up in wherever? So they have to talk cause, uh, that will then slow it down too, especially if it's a warm up. Um, cause I know there, so it could be something too, where if the, these people are like one watt per kg higher than you, it really does feel easy for them and it's going to feel hard for you. Um, you can ask them to slow down too. That's perfectly acceptable to be like, Hey, can we go a little slower today? You don't, you can, yeah. it's okay not to be as fast as people. Like chances awesome. are they'll be relieved too. Exactly. I bet you, if you were the first person to say it, there's like 10 other people that are like, Oh, thank goodness. Somebody said it. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> You're not alone. You know, that since Ben, in this case, you're likely new. I, I don't know how new you are to structured training, but you're new to trainer road. Like Ivy said, as you go through your training plan, you're just going to get faster and faster and better at this sort of stuff. So that will help. Um, the only thing I would add to what everything else or everything or what everybody else has said is, especially on mountain bikes, there's little things you can do that are mistakes you can make that make everything way harder. So it's about uh, your momentum and anticipating what could stop your momentum or what could give you momentum. So if there's small bumps and you see those coming up, which can be tricky if you're following in a close line, but if you're watching shoulders, instead of watching wheels, you'll be able to pick it up because you'll see a person kind of go through a bump or lift up over a bump. But if there's something that is a bump, make sure that you just lift your wheels lightly over it. It's, it doesn't take a huge lift. doesn't take a bunny hop. It's just even unweighting your bike. It's a slight move that will go from stopping you and then having to restart your momentum to making it so that you just preserve. And if you add that up and let's say that there's 20 of those in the first five minutes of your riding, that's 20 little accelerations that you don't have to do. And to put this into even more, like, I guess a specific context, 
ride at threshold because Ben's probably feeling like he's riding at or over threshold, ride at Mm -hmm. threshold, then throw in 20 micro accelerations over the course of five minutes. I guarantee you that's going to be way harder than just riding at threshold. And so we think it's no big, no big when we go through that little rut and then we push harder on the pedals to regain our momentum and we let that starve our momentum. Be okay with spending a bit of energy just to pick up those wheels and be smooth over something. Because in the end, that's going to be less energy expended than trying to starve your momentum and then regain it thereafter. It's a small thing that you'll notice from watching cyclocross racers. Like Ivy is a great example of this. When I was riding with Ivy this summer and this spring at different races and here in Reno, Ivy's really smooth. Uh, She looks at terrain and she just picks up and she moves right over things. Um, it's not like it's a, like she's a trials rider and you need to be able to like bunny hop and do anything that's really technical. She just looks at things and she looks at terrain. Like I want to keep my momentum. So I'm not just going to hit that rock. I'll just pull up slightly or I'll just go around it. So it's the little things. If you really focus on the small efficiencies, they add up to make you way less tired. Um, on road racing, it's, it's kind of similar in the sense that you you don't hyper-focus on the wheel in front of you. And instead you're looking at those shoulders and you're just trying to stay close and you're trying to anticipate surges. And it's all the other things that I, Amber's an absolute pro at after racing the pro Peloton of, of that micro level of efficiency that adds up. I have so, two more tips. One yeah. is the, uh, this is the same with crits and I see the best athletes do this is that w- what I will do is if something technical comes up, I will stop pedaling way before other people and i will pedal out of it way after where somebody else like john the little bumps he might just be pedaling through and i'll like actually stand up and be like oh my gosh uh, and go through it <laughs> um and then i have to accelerate and that is so hard um to do that and then the other one i forgot so what you're saying nate Another is that <laughs> you want to instead of stopping you were saying you do the bad thing in this case right like that you don't want to stop going into something and coast and then have to accelerate a bunch out of it. Stay yeah. on the gas coming into it. Be smoother with your power. Yeah. Oh, and the other one is too, if there is uh depending on how uh, smooth the first rider in front of you rides is leaving a little bit of a gap on something technical and then you don't hit the brakes and you actually come out faster and you like, you scoot up to everybody else. Uh, mm-hmm. And that is, that is huge. Cause the other time, if you're into something technical and you have to hit the brakes and then it like, there's like a dip and you have to pedal out of it. That is so hard. That's another one of those surges that John's talking about. John, you, I mean, you must do that all the time. Like if someone in slower is in front of you, you, you leave space. Ivy too. Do you that in yes. cross ever? Do you leave space on a corner? Um, maybe not just like a regular corner, but if there's a feature, especially something that you kind of have to set up for. Absolutely. Um, something that you really need to scrub your speed for and pick up your tires for, you can't buzz the tire of the person in front of you and, and hope to carry the same speed. The same with going over barriers. You can't be right on someone going into that, knowing that they're going to have the scrub speed. You have to leave space. A really good example of that very thing was Tom Pidcock recently when he was in that, uh, I can't remember which, uh, cyclocross race. It like went viral all over the internet because of his interview. Um, It was profane, but, uh, it was also pretty, uh, it was a stamp of authority. Um, but anyways, (laughs) he, uh, he was racing with, uh, Ellie Easterbet and they were going through these and you could see like he was going to get around him and he was looking for a way, but where an anxious racer tries to do that by riding next to them or riding super close to them, he was doing exactly what Nate's saying. And he was sagging into sections where 
he knew that there could be a difference in line choice or there was some sort of feature or some sort of complication in the course. And because he did that leading into a turn coming into barriers, he saw him, it was really just one pedal stroke that he stopped early going into the barriers and he kind of like took a breath and then went to bunny hop them. And Tom didn't do that. He just, since he had sagged a bit, he wasn't stuck behind him and he didn't have to slow down. He just shifted over on his line. He did that one extra pedal stroke, carried more momentum through and then attacked him and he ended up winning. It's like a perfect example of it. That sagging, you have to be careful because if you sag too much, especially on road, then you're cooked and you're in the wind. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's kind of finding that sweet spot within there. It can prove hugely beneficial. If they are more technical than you, then sagging is horrible because then you have to then accelerate (laughs) out of it too. Uh, so like John, I might be right on his wheel to start and then he'll come out lit faster than me, but Amber on road races, did you, would you ever, someone who's a poor cornerer, would you ever give a little bit extra space and then come up on their wheel? Well, I tried not to be behind somebody who's a poor corner in the first place, but yeah, you definitely, if, if you know that somebody's a little bit squirrely, you definitely want to give yourself more room to be able to react because generally speaking, the more skilled somebody is the less the less, um, the less movement they're going to, they're going to create, right. They're not going to move as much laterally. They're not going to stop or start, you know, accelerate or decelerate suddenly. Uh, so you want to give somebody who is going to do that a little bit more room. So you have more time to react, but I think a, a way of framing a lot of what we're talking about right now is instead of thinking about how you can accelerate better, another way of approaching it is to flip that on its head and think about how you can decelerate the least. Um, because it makes less work for you, which isn't to say that you don't want to work on the accelerations. I think a big benefit to doing the types of efforts that, um, that Ivy was talking about those hard starts and then settling into not recovery, but a steady state, hard effort, it trains you to understand and to know, and to have confidence that the sensation of that burn and then still holding on and not just dropping off to recover is okay. And when you do that over and over in training, you will come to appreciate and have confidence in the fact that you can feel like that and be fine and possibly even do it again and recover. And sometimes it's just the mental confidence of knowing that you can feel that way and that it's not the death knell for your ride. Um, Mm. because it's never going to feel good. Like you're never going to get to a a point where those types of efforts are easy. And so don't get in your head that if it still feels hard, you're not doing it correctly. You, you definitely are, and you'll get better at it, but it will always be uncomfortable. The key is that you can be confident that that's okay and that your, your absolute power or your, your ability to do that relative to your ride mates will increase and become better. And like you said, Amber, that you're not alone in feeling that. Right. There's nothing, exactly. there's nothing more productive at making your burn worse and making mm-hmm. you feel more exasperated than thinking that you're alone and feeling that exasperation, right. right? Like knowing that everybody else is there. And it sounds like Ben, in this case, you're, you're getting through. It just sounds like it's miserable. Like you're just hanging on by a thread. Cause it, you say that for the first 10 minutes, it's really tough. So you don't mention that you're just getting dropped. So you know, probably is that case. Can I share a, another efficiency tip for mountain bikers in particular that I just thought of that I hadn't done before or that I hadn't mentioned before? You're the host, was, dude. You can do it. I'm <laughs> shutting this thing down. Um, uh, <laughs> switchbacks. So when you come into switchbacks, it's really easy to lose all your momentum. Um, and it's usually because uh, the switchback feels tight and we don't want to lose traction. And they're usually steep too. Um, bad trail designers tend to make all the elevation gain or the majority of it come in switchbacks, which they shouldn't switchback should be the spot where you don't climb, but Hey, the trail is the trail. 
when this happens and you see the switchback, uh, see the matrix. And what I mean by that is don't look at it like the trail is telling me to go here. You can choose to go anywhere you want on that trail. And when you come into a switchback, your goal, especially uphill ones, you should be all the way on the outside, like to the point where you're like, if I went anymore, I would probably be off the trail. And if you're setting up there, it gives you so many options and it allows you to carry so much momentum through switchbacks. It really helps. And when rides, group rides start with switchbacks, it's the same thing that happens when you have a turn in a crit that's really tight. It creates this really bad yo-yo effect where everyone slows down to a stop and then the acceleration to catch back up to the group afterward gets really, really hard. You can solve this by simply setting yourself up wider, taking a different line, and you can carry that momentum and you don't have to come to a stop. So set yourself up wide. And then usually that allows you to decide that you can cut in early and even cut out some of the elevation gain of that turn too. So yeah, wide enough so that your tires feel like they're going to come off. Two Thanks. more things. Sweet. If I can, John. <laughs> Please. <laughs> yes. I grant it to you. Yes. Um, number one, be the first one on the trail. That's oh, the best. Because if yeah. you do that, then huh. everyone's at your speed. And don't feel the need. Easy. To, to go fast. Just be, and you can communicate, hey, I'm gonna, we're going to chill until here. Um, do you mind if I lead today? That's like a totally, and I just want to lead at my pace. That's absolutely okay. Like, Yeah. yeah. And so I did this. Uh, I totally do this on races. I can think of uh, San Rafael, where there was a downhill section coming into, uh, so San Rafael, Twilight Crit, it's like you do a steep up and then there's like a really fast 45 degree turn. And also I didn't want to be behind people. And, uh, by being in first, you get to then dictate what the speed is and, and everything. Recording stopped. Um, I actually got to drop people on that. It's on video. Pretty proud of. And the other <laughs> one I'm thinking of John, John is the P one, two race at, uh, uh, land park where yeah. there is a video of <laughs> Pete and, of John talking on the GoPro. Cause I'm the first one in the technical section making fun of me. Like, uh Oh, Nate's coming in. Like I'm going to crash the field out and I gapped the field on that. Oh, he did. Yeah. Uh, It is so much easier. I think to, uh, technically if you're first in to really like take it, then be be, like being a Peloton full of people. It's easier just to go first. Um, and the last one is somebody asked what makes me a big rider, what class I stuff. So I don't think like, I don't know if I mentioned this before, but how tall, how tall are you? I'm six, six and I'm like Ooh. probably 195 right now. So in cycling, I'm glad that we finally covered that on the podcast. That's, that's big, a good yes. thing. Yeah. Glad we finally did. Yeah. I can't believe I haven't mentioned that before. I don't remember mentioning it before. <laughs> Must so. be the concussion. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. So there you go, Corey. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's go into Chase's question. He says somewhat related to training plan selection, but more on how to train with two very different race types and goals scheduled over the race season. Last year was my first season of cycling and racing, and I'm hooked. I really like competing and racing in long distance gravel races. He mentions 80 to 150 miles, as well as the local weekly crit series. And he mentions cat four races in the 30 to 40 minute time range. It's hard to pick which race format to focus my training on as I enjoy both of them too much to pick a side. The physical requirements and the associated training plans for these two types of races seem to be at odds with one another. They aren't at odds. They're just different. This is still aerobic exercise that we're building. So that's a really key thing to remember. It's not like we're building you into a power lifter for crits or we're building you into like an ultra marathon, you know, athlete on the endurance side. It's still endurance exercise. Colin Strickland. Yes, it's different. Yeah. Well, Colin mm-hmm. Strickland is a great example, right? 
top-level crit raiser and winner of Dirty Kanza. Exactly, or Unbound Gravel. Yeah, Un- yep. Unbound, yeah sorry. Um, so he says, Gravel focusing on long, sweet spot, and threshold efforts versus the crit training plans where the high VO2 max efforts are the primary component. They're not necessarily the primary component. I know I'm kind of answering this question as we go throughout it, but these, these are important things. And kind of like what Ivy was saying earlier, even in cyclocross, he spent a whole lot of time in sweet spot and tempo and threshold, right? So even in crit racing, it happens. Uh, the shorter duration of the workouts and the crit plans also seem to be deleterious to maintaining my long distance aerobic engine. Uh, so again, not necessarily, but yes, to a certain extent. So how do I approach my base season training and early spring workouts with the goal of doing well in both of these types of races in summer 2022? He's asking for base season. So boom, it's taken care of. It's base training, man. Uh, more or less, it's the same. So you don't even have to worry about it, but we're going to entertain this question and go a bit deeper. He says, I just started weight training this month and plan to continue the supplementary supplementary work throughout the year. No idea if that tidbit offers any helpful information or not. Thanks for everything that you do for the cycling community and with your podcast and product. Amber, uh, where do you want to go on this one? <clears throat> well, I'd like to just start with the base training and say that, you know, given that this is your second year cycling and, and racing, I think that you can get so much out of the base training. Um, and that would apply as much to the crits as to your longer efforts. So just because the specialization component of this is going to be for a shorter effort, um, doesn't mean that your crit racing can't also benefit immensely from a quality base block. So I, you know, those two things are definitely not mutually exclusive. The, the base block is something that can be extremely effective for both of those types of racing. Um, so that's not something where you necessarily have to do something specific in your base training for either of those because a, a quality foundation. And again, when we talk about base training, this is really about, if you think about your building a house, this is the foundational things, not just the foundation of the house, but this is where you're getting your electrical online. Um, you're getting the plumbing online. So the electrical is your mitochondrial efficiency, the number of mitochondria, your, your plumbing is the capillarization. Um, that's all going to benefit the higher intensity training that you'll do later in the season. So uh, I would really lean into your base training and be super, super consistent with that. And maybe even um, do a little bit more base training before you start shifting to the the building and um, more specialized forms of training later in the season, because that will benefit both of those types of of efforts. Awesome. I'm going to disagree. Ooh, <laughs> yes. makes it entertaining. Yes, uh, Chase, you're so new. Any like, just when you're brand new like that, the threshold stuff, you will raise your FTP so fast. And that is going to kill it on both sides. And now base training, I would, I mean, I don't know, Amber, if you're talking about sweet spot base or if you're talking about like traditional zone two base, what what are you thinking for Chase? I'm talking about a focus on aerobic efficiency. So that would be anything from endurance all the way up through threshold um, and even the VO2 max stuff, but mostly, mostly the lower zones um, and then sprinkling in some, maybe some VO2 towards the end of base then maybe we are in agreement, but chase, I would do sweet spot base. <laughs> Basically what will happen is your, your cat four racer, there gets to be the point of wanting to specialize between the two of being like, I got to do one or the other. And if you are, <laughs> um, very high level, maybe like Keegan or something that like that specialty will make the difference between winning and losing. But if you're new to this only two years in like 20 more Watts FTP, will trump any like icing of specialty you'll do on either one. 
and mm-hmm. you will just destroy it. And I would to pick a plan too. I would actually do climbing road race inside of our plans. It's got some threshold. It's got some punches. It's got some VO two max. Um, when I was doing crit racing and doing really well with it, uh, I did not do any like really punchy work on my aerobic stuff. That was a strength of mine. I just wanted to focus on getting the FTP high. And what happened is at the end of the race, so I would race very chill at the end of the race. We talked about it before I was fresh, right? So I did not have to, uh, I, I, I went down less than other people. So even though maybe I wasn't as good as some of the aerobic stuff at that moment in the race, I was better at the uh, anaerobic stuff. And that's, what's important. And, I think just having a higher FTP in general, once you get to a point where you're starting to not see improvements on that and it's kind of going like it's, it, you know, in a year you might raise five or 10 watts that you will get to that point. Everyone knows mm-hmm. that's when, oh, now I really want to focus on one. And that's probably when you're going to be at a level of rider where it's going to be hard and you will want to do either a crit plan or focus on the gravel stuff. But right now, just raise it in general. It's like it's going to be so good. You're going to get so much better. Mm-hmm. I, I have a different approach to suggest. Ooh, uh, yeah. Love it. So I would, uh, pl- and all of us are saying plan builder, by the way, we're not saying just toss on blocks, plan builder will work it out for you. And then you can figure, you can, like Nate said, if you want to do the climbing road race version or whatever else you want to do, you can do that. Um, I assume that your races, like you're going to have like a gravel race or a gravel races that don't fall just when you have your crit racing season. Um, so I assume you can probably do some changing around here. I would say do the Grand Fondo plan. Uh, that's a great one for gravel racing. Works on sustained power. Like Nate said, that's really going to raise your threshold across the base build and specialty phase. But then when you get to your specialty phase, drop down in volume when you get close to those crit races. It's super easy. On your plan, you can just click where your the current training block started and you can switch your volume and switch your plan really easily. So switch your volume. Let's just say you're doing mid volume in that case, switch down to low volume once the crits races start getting close and then use train now to add in some attacking workouts. Uh, that way you're still staying on that path of making sure that you're working on aerobic fitness, sustained power, raising your threshold, doing all that. Cause that's absolutely key in crit races, even though it doesn't seem like it, like Nate said, but then if you give yourself a little more time to be able to work in those train now rides that are more punchy, then that can just make you feel prepared for whatever punches somebody throws. But Nate has such an important point, no matter how punchy you are, if those punches are at too great of a percentage of your threshold and the time that you spend in between those punches is too great of a percentage of your threshold, you won't be able to hang. So thresholds King, like it's really hard. Try to find a problem in bike racing in terms of a racer themselves. Try to find a problem that you'd face as a bike racer that a high threshold doesn't fix it kind of solves all things. Um, so it really makes things a whole lot easier, but yeah, you could do that. Switch your volume, drop it down a little bit once you get closer and then just add in some train now attacking workouts. I've been in cat four races too, where my, uh, my just pure Watts were high. It was, it was flat that my, my threshold was so high that the punches did not feel like punches. Like mm-hmm. they were like gradual accelerations and I didn't really go above threshold right very much Good at flex. all. Yeah. What? It's good flex. Yeah. No, but I mean, it's, strong flex. <laughs> what, what it was is that I did a lot of training and then I jumped yeah. into crit racing. Uh, I mean, we did a lot of racing in Reno, but it wasn't uh, USAC racing. So then when yeah. I drove to California to do it, I was below what my fitness was for category. 
And that's the yep. best is if you, and then you can learn stuff and you can really be efficient because you're not tired all the time or hanging on. I've definitely yeah. had that time where racing a Reno a crit when I wasn't that fit and just like getting dropped after 10 minutes and uh, getting destroyed. You kind of need think- a bandwidth, right? Amber, like, um, if you're so like uh, comparatively speaking, if you're, if your fitness is so far off from the group that you can't even hang with a group at all, and you just get blown out in the first lap or two, then you can't learn from that race. Also, right. if you are way faster than everybody else, it's easy to learn really bad habits. It's like riding on the front's easy, you know. Um, uh, how many times can I attack these people, and what will they do? Like you, you know, you don't want to like be the cat playing with the ball of yarn. Right. So you kind of want to be like right in that sweet spot where it's like in terms of learning and improving, where it's like if I am not careful, I can fall off the back and it will be really hard to get back on. Cause that's the spot where you kind of have that forced efficiency learning where it has to happen. Um, it's kind of like what you experienced. You've mentioned this plenty of times going over to Europe where it was like blown out the back. And then suddenly you really had to learn how to sharpen the blade. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And I think you bring up a really good point because this is, I think the, the question is framed in terms of are there two types of fitness here that are mutually exclusive, which we've established that they're not, but it's also not just about the fitness. It's really about the learning. And since you are so new, not only can you make big gains in in fitness pretty quickly, um, but you'll also probably make huge gains in terms of learning and racing a bunch of crits is going to teach you so much if you let it, right? If you approach them with a sense of curiosity and you approach each race as an opportunity to learn something about handling your bike, about racing your bike, about your nutrition, about your own capacity to express your fitness in certain types of efforts, that learning will all carry over into a gravel race and vice versa. So make sure that in addition to uh, leaning into these new types of training and, and a new fitness level that you are maintaining that kind of curiosity and enthusiasm for learning as you're approaching all of the different kinds of races that you do, because they will again, be mutually beneficial. Mm. Yeah. Great tips. Uh, well, perfect. We're coming up on two hours. Let's close this one out. Um, we do have one live comment that I absolutely have to mention It's from Jack Tam. And he says, Zelda was an intellectuals game. So there you go, <laughs> Ivy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like that. Um, big brain. Yeah. Yeah. Big brain. I just picture exactly. like eight year old me, you know, the friend's house, like I'm intellectual. intellectual. <laughs> Mario? <laughs> Pinky out. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. While you, yeah. while you do the game control, you're drinking, your, <laughs> drinking your Hawaiian punch with your pinky. Should've, yeah. Should have said that to my instructors when I, they're like, Ivy, what's up? You're not turning in your homework. I'm like, listen, I'm an intellectual. Okay. <laughs> Don't worry about it. <laughs> uh, check out this Ocarina. Cool. All right. Well, thanks everybody. Uh, if you're listening to this, we've talked a bunch about how you can become a faster cyclist, go to trainerroad.com, make it happen. Uh, adaptive training is there. It's ready to make you faster. You can use train now. If you don't want to use the plans or use plan builder, tons of great stuff. Go subscribe to the trainer row blog, subscribe to the YouTube channel, subscribe to this podcast and share it with other cyclists. Have an amazing holiday. And we will have that special episode for you next week and see you in a couple of weeks after that. Thanks everybody. Take care. Bye everyone. Bye. Bye.